Yeah, here. We're fine. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Get in the Garage. I am here with... I'm Luke. As always, my man, Luke. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, today's topic, we thought that we would, instead of covering a band, maybe cover a city. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, I was or listening... a state. A state. Yeah, I'd say a like state. state. State, mostly the city, though, is where it congregated. Yeah, yeah, of course. We're talking Detroit Rock City. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we thought it'd be interesting because um, I started kind of like, I was listening to Stooges a lot this week because, uh, you know, I think it's the 40th anniversary of Funhouse being released. Yes. Yeah, so, I got that ad on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody, I don't know if anybody saw, but they released a 15 dick, dick, disc. disc. Oh, my God. I can't talk, guys. A 15 disc box set of Funhouse of, with every take in it, 15 LPs. Uh. Is what I mean, and uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty intense. But uh, so I was listening to Funhouse, really, you know, reminding myself how much I enjoyed it and I loved it. And I started kind of thinking about like all the other Detroit bands um, mm-hmm. of that like era, and how we kind of have these like rock narratives that like we hear all the time. Um, like I'll give you an example. We have the San Francisco sound, you know, the Summer of Love sound. You had the Grateful Dead, the Jefferson Airplane, the Birds. Mm-hmm. Right, and then you even now have like emerging like a, a high narrative of uh, the Laurel Canyon sound, which oh, incorporates yeah. a lot of those same bands, um, yeah. like with the and birds, like Crosby, Stills, Nat, yeah, right. right. So, I mean, you really have those kind of narratives being like um, really represented in music, right? Yeah, and um, I feel like as an East Coaster, like where is our love? You know, the industry's yeah. out there, so I feel like they're making all these documentaries. This is kind of off the cuff. Like, this is, I'm kind of more just, like, figuring out, like, how I felt about it now when I'm saying it. But, like, yeah. since the industry is out there, do is that why we're getting so many documentaries about the Laurel Canyon and da-da-da-da-da? Listen, I'm just going to say this straight out. Like, I'm into the music, but, like, all right. Yeah. You know? Like, let's, right. as East Coasters, me and Mike are uh, in, in Connecticut over here, uh, what love does our mu- do our music? I mean, we the, the, only... the New York one gets highly, you know what I mean. But yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess there's like ones about, me- but you know, where not in the way. No, I, it's not spoken to in the same kind of like uh, adoration, right? As the like the West Coast uh, West Coast bands, and I think um, when we were talking about it earlier, the thing that makes the Detroit bands, I think that sets them apart, is that these are like. These are hardened working class guys. Yeah. You know? And also, let's just be real here. I mean, they've sur- they they survived a Michigan they survived several Michigan winters. And I'm just I'm just saying that living in a climate that's harsh like that, it hardens a person in like a kind of a way. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm going off a little bit, but I'm just saying, man, there's just something about like the harshness of like Detroit working class. I mean, all the motor vehicles were coming out of Detroit. In fact, one of 
I forget. I, I feel like before we even go further, though, not to interrupt you, but yeah, I yeah, just no. did. But like, let's talk to. Um, we're not talking about Motown. Like, we are talking no, about what no. we and Mike are really talking about as rock listeners. I prim- primarily is the hard rock scene in Detroit. Yeah, like that kind of scene, right? Like the psychedelic hard rock scene that was in Detroit in the early seventies and spawned a bunch of highly influential bands, like yeah. crazy highly influential bands oh yeah on music so that's like where we're coming from like uh you know people should talk about motown all day motown is very famous yeah they've had tons of successful artists and they really put that city on the map i mean it's that episode's coming eventually anyway yeah i mean we're gonna talk about motown and it's not that like we don't know our motown like i love motown i listen to it all the time i think it's some of the best music ever made on this planet absolutely um but what me and mike are talking about today is just primarily the hard rock music that came out of Michigan. Yeah. Um, because I just think it's fascinating that they all kind of have a sound. So yeah. that would be a scene, right? Yeah. If it has a certain sound. And these bands, too, were all, like Mike was kind of saying, they were working class. Like, none of these bands put on airs. None of these guys were dressing up in nice suits and, and stuff. Like... Like, let me just... Yeah, they never went to, like, musical conservatories. Yeah, yeah. So, like, let me just shout out, like, some names. We got MC5. You have the Stooges. You have the Alice Cooper Band. You have... uh, Rare Earth. Rare Earth. Grand Funk uh, Railroad. uh, Frigid Pink. Did you say Bob Seger already? Yeah, I mean, if I didn't, Bob Seger. Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent. Amboy Dukes. Right. Uh, The Frost was another band. The Up was another band. There was there were a, there there were a couple that kind of like fell by the wayside, you know, that didn't really mi- get the kind of success that say maybe Ted Nugent went on to have, but um, but yeah, very much a community in the way that you know you see a lot of um, like comparatively to like the Brits, how you know a lot of these guys were playing on each other's albums constantly, or like one was leaving one band to go to another, even though they were all friends anyway, like. Uh, you find kind of a common thing happening in Detroit at the time as well because you had a lot of like the lead singer one of the one of the lead singers of the Amboy Dukes went on to sing for Cactus. Uh, you know there was a lot of intermingling in other words with all these bands. Yeah, like uh, qu- members of the Question Mark and the Mysterians ended up um forming Bob Seger's band. Yeah, like things like that. They would kind of move in into it. Um, yeah, and and might I also say that like yeah, question mark and the Mysterians also sorry uh, sang the song ninety six tears that I'm sure uh, yep. you know most everybody knows yeah um also you know from Detroit so that's kind of like the the antithesis of it yeah. because that was a really big song and that band is is from Detroit also I read too uh, Tommy James and the uh, Shondells. Oh, yeah. Detroit. I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't? No. Yeah. And that makes sense, too, because they kind of sound like Mitch Ryder. I mean, not as successful, but, yeah. you know, Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels. You know, Tommy Shandell, it all kind of has that, you know, mm-hmm. even though Tommy Shandell changed his sound many a times. From what I read, too, there was a lot of, um, uh, a lot of like, things happening between Detroit and, I want to say, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh? Would you say Or Cleveland? maybe Philadelphia. Uh... Uh, no, I think it was Pittsburgh. Either way, it's very, it's still very much just kind of like this. It's, it, it, these bands feel very American. 
yeah, that's you know what that's I mean? the other that thing they too. They feel very, very much working class American. Yeah, so let's bands, let's you know? talk about. I mean, Grand Funk Railroad. Let's talk about Detroit. Yeah, we're De- an American band. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So Detroit was the Motor City because all I mean, I think everybody, most everybody knows this. It was a booming industrial town. Yeah. So that made. All of the motor vehicles, right? You know, uh, for um, for America, General Motors, yeah, oh yeah. Ford. So you have the city of workers, pretty much, right? Who are primarily doing the same kind of work. They're all working class. Um, and like I was saying before, like none of these bands were putting airs on. So like yeah. what I'm saying, what I mean by that is like the, how the Stooges sounded is also how they lived, and the same with the MC5, yeah. like. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. they were living what they were doing. They were working class people. Even the Alice Cooper band were a working class people. That show they were putting on as mm-hmm. like uh, grandiose and um, you know theatrical it was. Yeah. It, you know that even that was so working class. You know what I'm saying? Like in the way they did it, they did it like DIY. You know, like horror. Like it was like a B horror movie, but they really did their best at it. And you know. And I was talking to you, like, you may not think Alice Cooper sounds like the Stooges. I mean, I hope you do in some way, because, like, you take a song like uh, 18, you know, like me and Mike were talking earlier, and Alice Cooper is, is saying, you know, like, lines form on my face and hands. And, uh, you know, Iggy Pop is saying, now nah, I'm going to be 22. Oh, my boo-hoo. Like, you know, yeah. it's the same kind of, you know, same kind of thing, same kind of attitude, I guess, in a different, in a different but same way. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so I would say like the first person I ever like represented Detroit with musically was Bob Seger because you know, he you would hear Bob Seger say on his live albums, Detroit is the best is the best music fans, you know. Yeah. Detroit is the best. Also, Detroit Rock City Kiss, they were telling you that you got to lose your mind in Detroit, that's Rock City. Bro, yeah, like that's where it is. Where's yeah, Rock yeah. City? It's in Detroit. Kiss is Kiss is gonna tell you. Yeah, and but, they, but Kiss, that a song, New York band. You yeah, know? that that song came way later, even. But you know, because I think that's like Destroyers '76. I think. Yeah, but th- that speaks to just kind of uh, the already the tradition that had been laid down there of why they were right. such a you know because yeah. these bands propped up a guy like Bob Seger who had been trying to make it since like '68, right? So Bob Seger's floating around there in the Bob Seger system. Um, yeah. They kind of have like their little psychedelic e hit. Yeah. Um, and then you have like Ted Nugent, right? So this is kind of the the start of it. You have Ted Nugent, Uncle Ted, and and Bob <laughs> Seger, who ends up breaking at almost the same exact time. Yeah. In the like about ten years later, almost like in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. Because when you think of at least I will say when I think of Bob Seger, I think seventies. Yeah, not definitely. 60s, but he was still he was doing it in the sixties. Yeah, you know what I mean. He was, he was still playing, like, working so hard, working class, and yeah. that's what I mean. When I think too, were the working class musician. I'm going to tell you Bob Seger, one, and then the second one I'm going to tell you is Bruce Springsteen. Like, you know what I mean? Right, who, right. Who hold that image for me. Yeah. You could throw, like, your Levon Helms in there, too, as, like, guys that, like, got ha- their hands dirty in life. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And as somebody who gets their hands dirty, and you do, too, uh, it means something when you know that they, you know what they're talking about, right? Yeah. So, it, hit, it hits different. So, that's where... Like I'm kind of coming from with those bands and those ideas. So you really have Ted and Ted Nugent is with his band called the Amboy Dukes. Now the Amboy Dukes started as a psychedelic band, right? Yeah. Um, like a psych garage rock band. Um, they have what was that song? Uh, Into- Journey to the Center of the Mind. Yeah, that's their like hit 
like that was popular from them. That's on their second album. That was the hit, but that was the thing that made Ted Nugent not want to be in the band. <laughs> right, because he was just like, you know. He's like, he was like, I think I, I saw like an interview or whatever, and he's just like, I don't know. I just, I heard Journey to the Center of Mind. I was like, oh, that's that's like mindfulness, right? That's a, that's a good thing. And then he's like, I'm going to find out it was about drugs. <laughs> oh, yeah, because Ted Nugent is an anti-drug guy. Oh, he's big anti-drug, yeah. So um, he's, I mean, he's anti, I mean, like alcohol too. Like, I yeah. mean, alcohol obviously is a drug, Oh, also, but. guys, let's also put a disclaimer here. Uh, with Ted Nugent, me and Mike are there for the music. We love the antics of Uncle Ted, but, yeah. you know, he's a madman, guys. We know it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he definitely is. And We're, he's his own person, and he, he has a right to be his own person, like whatever. But just because, in other words, just you like, you don't have to what ag- we're necessarily saying is, agree with an artist to appreciate yeah, the art. Yeah, what me and Mike are saying is, you won't catch us in the woods with our shirts off screaming for the great white buffalo tomorrow bro like you know and like a loincloth with like a little raccoon tail yeah but like that's like the vibe though is what i love about ted at the same yeah, time he's so because he's so great just like he's the motor city madman bonkers. yeah he's yeah he's a uh he's an interesting fellow yeah okay so also like mike talk about his guitar playing too because like that's i yeah, feel like the, the, I mean, the, the guitar sound coming out of detroit was fuzzy and like the th- fuzzy, the about- fuzzy in a way San Francisco wasn't because it was fuzzy heavy. I mean, you had blue right. cheer in San Francisco and you also you had can, iron butterfly. The way that you can look at it too, if you want to like really, I mean, if you want to break it down and kind of like nerd out, a lot of the guys who were uh, coming out of like, say like the San Francisco, like the, the West Coast scene, you can even break it down to like a way that's like, okay, like I think a lot of them were using like Les Pauls, like the the usual, right? Like an SG, a Les Paul, or a Strat, with maybe, say, the exception of like Bob Weir. Bob Weir played like a 330 uh, ES. Uh, I don't know, man. You're asking the wrong guy. Anyway, the point is is that uh, Bob Weir, we're talking about solid body guitar versus hollow, semi-hollow body guitars, right? So the ES-335 is a Gibson model that is a slim slim hollow body guitar but it has a center block right so what they found is is that if you put pickups in a fully acoustic guitar uh, another notable guitar that's full full acoustic with no center block is an epiphone casino famously played by john lennon rooftop concert check it out um but then the thing that set especially ted nugent apart was he was playing a gibson birdland which is basically like that's like a jumbo acoustic guitar with like lo- loaded with pickups. That's basically it's a full, you know, and it's completely hollow. So it's feeding back. So a lot. that it, that's the whole thing, though. That's what made his sound so crazy was because that is a feedback machine. And that's that's like, like you have to tame that kind of a guitar. Okay, if he's playing jazz or something mellow, it sounds beautiful and belly and you know whatever. And that's what that's what it was meant for. But Ted Nugent was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so he would plug it into like a stack of amps. And just crank it with all this crazy gain. And that's what I think his sound for me makes specifically him so unique as a guitar player because the tone of his guitar is is very, very distinct. Just as much as, say, uh, when you look at the MC5, they, from what I had seen from videos and stuff, were playing kind of like the K's, like the... Like the uh, the uh, ja- like the Japanese made guitars of the late sixties and early garage 70s. rock guitars, right, Sears right, guitars, right, right. Uh, K's, like all those Japanese uh, imports. And then the o- the other one, uh, like the Mazrite, which uh, what's his name played the other guitar player, Sonic uh, uh, Smith, Fred Sonic Smith. Yeah, Fred Sonic Smith. Um, and then oh, I'm pretty sure. Oh wait, no, we talk Wayne no. Wayne Kramer played. I think played the right. No, 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 no. no. It was okay. Yeah, I, yeah, because right. that that was what um, Joey Ramone. Johnny. Johnny, sorry. 
Johnny Ramone uh, ended up kind of like stealing almost like his whole stage. Dude, presence. I'm telling you, man, when I watched the video of the MC5 playing and I saw him playing guitar, I was just like, it's literally like you just cut Johnny Ramone out and, and then put him in the Ramones yeah. after. Yeah, it was. It's like it's so. It's like uncanny. It's weird, man. It's weird because you're like, that's okay, the, so that's, that's the thing too. Like the New York scene is highly written about, highly influential. There's movies, hundreds of books. Yeah, everybody knows about it. But Detroit, man, the Stooges and the MC5. Yeah, because the MC5, the first album that the MC5 dropped, not only uh, was it a live album, but it was the first live album that... By like a a debut rock band. Yeah, as a debut album. Nobody had released a live album as their debut album. And MC5 did it, and that album will blow your eardrums out of your right. head so it's you, so like so jarring you, and wild so here and, here you that's go 69 yeah so here you go you kind of have ted Nug- ted nugent bringing the more psychedelic side in uh, with bob seger kind of bringing more hard rocky like a little bit psychedelic yeah, in the, in the lyric nature you the psychedelia right that's like 1970 like 69 though the stooges and the mc5 are bringing in like the yeah. um I would say chaos, like the oh yeah, the chaos, the anger, absolutely, the anger of a working class people. Yeah, sure, right. Yeah, okay. So that's what I'm saying. Like, so you have kind of like Ted Nugent doing his thing, and by 1970, uh, the Amboy Dukes get less psychedelic and more progressive, mm. right? Because I listened to their album. Uh, what was it here? Uh, Marriage on the Rocks, right? Yep. And this LP, which I have, is uh, more of a, like, they have progressive, um, like, suites of, like, a marriage, right? And then there's, like, uh, another one uh, called The Inexcusable Quest for Cosmic Garbage, where (laughs) it, like, lampooned, like, the Beach Boys and stuff, Mm -hmm. right? And, like, all these other kind of styles of music. Yeah. And it was very funny and actually done very well. I thought it was pretty cool, but I found this album to be, like, psychedelic progressive, right? So they kind of grew into that space. Uh, And the playing on here was really, like, Ted was on fire. Like, the band's tight, right? Comparatively, though, and it sounds like the same, though, because this, at the same time, like, Nugent was also, like, it was fuzzy and heavy and yeah. gr- like garagey and uh i also found like it had um like you were saying too like a lot of like it um had like a lot of parallels with like the english hard rock scene mm-hmm. and i'll like make that agreement here too where it had the rave up oh yeah the yeah. rave up solo like where like that kind yeah. of rave up in it yeah it had the yard burn. like that's what i found a lot of these bands did too yeah. like the mc5 just way more yeah just it, way heavier more intense right uh frigid pink also did a rave up in like their song and i was like oh like oh okay so like yeah. it, that's where the garage rock met the hard rock in america kind of thing yeah right because then even by 74 this band is not from boston but like you have uh you know aerosmith famously doing train kept a rolling like straight out of the yard birds right yeah so there you go, and the rave up at the end, which which is the I feel like the climax of like how heavy a rave up can get. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So like Ted Nugent kind of gets there, right? And then you have like let's really talk now about the Stooges and the MC Five and how like amazingly ahead of their time they were mm-hmm. one, um, and like I, I mean I can't tell you like we've talked about it on the show before, but how influential the stooges and the mc5 are it's it's amazing so we yeah. have also talked about um danny fields on the show before who 
signed the Stooges and the MC5 and managed the Ramones and yep. was the publicity guy at Electra Records um, and worked at the doors. Um, so he hears about these bands. Um, he's working at Electra Records. So um, he's like, someone's like, hey, man, you're into interesting music, like ahead of its time stuff. Mm-hmm. There's this band that is like running itself like a political party like a political like movement out of Detroit. Their name is the MC five. Yeah. They are absolutely insane. They have, it's like a political, every show is like a political rally. The singer is dressed in an American flag shirt. Yeah. Uh, he's got a giant Afro and they have a posse with them who are armed and you know, and it's, it's, it's a whole deal. So yeah. And they, and- Danny, yeah. Danny Fields goes, yeah. right. Sees the, sees the MC five. Uh, and you go, he goes, uh, when can I sign you to Electra Records? Let's make an album. And they go, well, man, here's the deal. If you like us, you're going to love our little brother band. And they went, and, you know, so who's your little brother band? Oh, it's this band called the Stooges. And Danny Fields goes, finds the Stooges, signs them both in the same day, goes back, goes back and goes, I, I need both of them. They're both the best bands I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Now, the difference between the Stooges and the MC5 are the Stooges are absolute rock and roll animalism uh, yeah. to the core, where the MC5 have a, a real message and something to say. Like, where the Stooges were saying, like, yeah. burn it down. Right, right. You exactly. know, they were saying, like, here's how we're going to burn it down. Right, yeah. I'd say the MC5 were more so, uh, like... Uh, what would the word be? I just had it too. Militant. Much more like organized. Militant. It's all about yeah, mi- very much militant and kind of like we need to organize. We that's how that's how we need to do this, you know. Right. Uh, and so, what was going on with the organization behind the MC Five? Like, who was hanging around? Like, I know like Ginsburg was even hanging around. Yeah, at Ginsburg the time. was hanging out. Uh, what's his name? Who got? Why arrested? is Gins- Ginsburg's always hanging around the most? Like, if there's like yeah. a, a like something happening, you're always just like, why was Ginsburg there? Well, I think because there was the affiliation that they had with the White Panthers. Okay, so tell me about the White Panthers. The so White Panthers we've were... We've heard of the Black Panther Party. What's the White Panther Party? The White Panther Party was basically... Um, I forget who it was, which member of MC5 got arrested and went to jail. However, when he was in jail, um, he had gotten his hands on a Black Panther Party, I think like a, a news like printout. Like a, a, a pamphlet? A pamphlet or something like that. No, no, no. It was because he's. It was like the, the newsletter because uh, he had seen that they were making requests for like, uh, like what you would call like white allies kind of thing, okay, right? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, now let's set up like just like how there's a Black Par- Panther Party, there's the White Panther Party, which is basically like the the other the, the other group that the, is allying the black panther party right but, but they are white individuals right exactly so they're gonna serve in their purpose of being uh, a white individual but also in the arm of what the black panther party was doing absolutely okay. yeah and there was influence i think i looked it up but there was you know heavy influence on like marxist views and stuff like that very much right some radical very, views yeah some radical views yeah absolutely um and so I think the 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 thing is with the MC5 is the fact that they have like this 
very like political kind of stance right it makes it it gives them their own thing in contrast to the stooges right the stooges were very like like the doors you know what i mean where it was like people would like start fires and riot at yeah, shows walk and stuff. walk into the fun house man huh? yeah well that's what i'm saying yeah and and that jim morrison was uh was a big influence on uh, iggy pop for sure for sure you know right but it's it but it's uh it's like you know it's like the doors but you like dumped like gasoline on them and lit them on fire you know what i mean then you get the stooges you know and it's like i don't know i love the stooges too but yeah very much mc5 like build it up and stooges burn it down right so very let's let's talk about the mc5's first album right which was like mike said recorded live their first album was recorded live um and the, the the intro to the show is a man asking, you know, the audience basically giving like a political rally speech. Yeah. You know, saying it takes five seconds to decide what kind of person you're going to be. Five seconds, you know. And then they kick into Rambling Rose. And oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's just talk about how rock and roll it is. Oh, it's, it's so, so high energy. It's so punk. And um, the guitars are screaming. Like the, the guitars sound like I was telling Mike, they sound like an engine of a motorcycle revving through the gears oh, the yeah. entire time. Yeah, the guitars sound like chainsaws. Yeah, just like... <laughs> the, and yeah. the band, like, ebbs and flows. Yeah, and, dude, and Wayne Kramer, man. Yeah, oh. Crazy. I, I was wa- uh, I was watching a video of them playing live, and he was doing, like, Chuck Berry-style antics where he would, like... He would do, like, this weird, like, foot that, flick thing well, where he would okay. slide across stage. That, that and, was, like, not to interrupt you, but, man, that was, like, the other thing I noticed about all these bands from Detroit is that they all sounded like Chicago-y Chuck Berry right. kind of thing. Yeah. The Stooges' first album is riddled with the Bo Diddley beat. The second album, Funhouse, is riddled with the Bo Diddley beat. Yeah. The uh, MC5 sound like Chuck Berry, like, on speed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, for sure. Uh, even Bob Seger, though, t- like Bob Seger covered Bo Diddley on his Breakthrough Live album, the song Bo Diddley. So it's like that that rock and roll, like to the core, which is the Ramones bringing it back again yeah. in an artsier place of New York. Yeah, this was that. I think that idea had already started with the MC5 and the Stooges. When yeah, you listen, it was bubbling. It you was could, bubbling because they yeah. were like, "Hey, man, Bo Diddley's where it's at." I mean, 1969, you know. Yeah. That's a Bo Diddley beat. That's yeah. what that is. You know what I mean? It's no way around it. Yeah. And that's what I heard all these bands, even on the Cooper record, there was like Bo Diddley E beats. And if not Yardbirds E beats, who were stealing from Bo Diddley and right. Chuck Berry? Right. And that's where I was just like, oh man. So this like reverence of the original form of rock and roll, like that had been maybe, you know, because obviously we're talking it, it's adulterated through other filters, such as, you yeah. know, the politicalism of the MC5 playing with Reckless Abandon and also playing like Motown. That's the other thing that the MC5 have going on. Yeah. The super Motown influence, like because Ramblin' Rose could if like like the, the you know, if the like, um you know, Smokey Robinson, like, say, you know, like, in love, love uh, I mean, I'm, I think it is an R&B cover, actually. But that's is the it, whole yeah. thing. We'll have to look. Yeah, we'll yeah look that up, man, because I'm pretty sure I'm almost positive it is. So that's what I'm talking about. It's like some of these songs, if they were like slowed down and done in that R&B fashion, could have been there, you know? But like that's where it, I'm coming at, that reverence for old school rock and roll 
it like really comes in and that's like what what really like is the front for the punk movement so i think like that naturally always being there is definitely you know evident in the stooges and the mc5 and on their first album the mc5 have one political statements and two like some of the most noisy chaotic rock and roll you've ever heard um also like for the songs too you have obviously the most famous thing about this record is uh kick out the jams right so on the intro to kick out the jams uh they go kick out the jams motherfuckers right (laughs) yeah kick out the jams motherfuckers brothers and sisters right so (laughs) On some edited copies of this album that were released, um, the uh, the whole track pans low, and then you hear a voice dubbed in that says "brothers and sisters," right? But the yeah. original track uh, has the MFers in it. Um, and yeah. when they were doing it, they were like, "Should we put it in the record company?" He's like, "Yeah, he's gonna listen to it. Put it in, man." Right? And then as soon as they put it in, this is when this album really started to tank because it was doing well because it was like so, you know. It was kind of out there and like kind of like tabooy and you know had an underground following. But as soon as like the controversy with the uh, MF or phrase came out and kick off kick out the jams, it really like uh, put a damper on the sales of this album and it really soured the relationship between the MC5 and Elektra, which is you know yeah. unfortunate because afterwards, like me and Mike were saying, the second MC5 album released on Atlantic is one of the poorest produced albums we've ever heard it was in our entire lives it's so bad it was for like yeah man for me it was like such an upsetting thing to listen to you've heard the first one yeah because the first one just blows your mind and then you hear the second one and it's like just it's underwhelming you know it's it's like and that's like an understatement at that yeah yeah Uh, i don't know oh uh but um so the the everybody knows the track kick out the jams right that's like the song but right. the uh i guess what I, what i saw that i thought was kind of funny was the origin story of that song mm-hmm. so the um who was it i think it was big brother and the holding company where i think the mc5 were opening for one of them was opening for the other whatever they came they came to detroit and I, they played at i think it was called the grand theater okay which was basically detroit's answer to like the Fillmore west yep and um, one of the guitar players, I can't remember which one it was, either Sam Andrew or James Gurley, but I think it was James Gurley. Um, so like they were trying to like play this new song and, um, <laughs> and every time they would get to the bridge of the song, he would mess it up. Like he would just like trip up over it, you know? So like right. they kept trying to like whatever, whatever. And I guess Janis Joplin was getting like really frustrated and the MC5, this was during the sound check, the MC5 were in the auditorium when they were doing it and they were heckling him. And one of the things that they would say was they'd say, come on, kick out the jams, motherfucker. Like, get off stage, you know? And right. they would like, they were like, and of course that made him like mess up more, right? Because he was just like, oh, these guys are like taunting, these these crazy guys <laughs> who carry around like rifles <laughs> and they're like taunting me, you know? And they're like, dude, I, I you know, um, not to, you know, like use the term too much, but like big dick energy, man. MC5 was like that kind of a bit, you know, it was very much just kind of like, yeah, we like we run this shit. They're, the they're a band is, that you would want to play is, man, after. Like kick out the jams. It, it makes me want to like kick them out, man. Like, yeah, it's so powerful of a song. That's this whole album 
is like is like me and Mike were saying it's like bombs going off. It's just like yeah, boom, boom. It's incredible. Boom, it's incredible. Boom. Yeah, the guitar. It's 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 also raunchy as all hell. Yeah, like it is raunchy in every rock and roll sense. Like yeah. it's a great album. It is unhinged. It is not for the faint of heart. No, it's very passionate. And yeah, political. It's some of the best rock and roll I've ever heard, though. If, and, yeah. If you like the Ramones and you haven't listened to the MC5, get it together and yeah, listen for real, to it. For Brothers real. and sisters. Yeah. It takes five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> really? Just the intro to kick out the jams? That da 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 Oh, yeah, it's so powerful. It's just like that. just those chords ringing out it is makes enough. you want to get in a fist heart. fight yeah it doesn't yeah. make you want to just like fight somebody and <laughs> yeah, i'm like yeah, i'm the yeah. most passive person yeah I know, and i'm too. like well pff, I, I gotta hit someone in the face right yeah, now. Like, i know it's, i gotta kick I know, it out I man know. but it's it's that feeling in the best way though not in like not you know what i'm saying like no yeah in like the it's, you know, it's so exciting yeah in the it channeling you. the channeling aggression like just like yeah. oh my god absolutely it's out there so okay so you're talking to mc5 right that's the treatment they got from electric records Right, so now we're going to talk to another record, which is, you know, one of my favorites, is the Stooges' first album, right? So they took the, the Stooges, and they were like, what the heck are we going to do with this band? Because they, like, you know, Electra signed them, and then, you know, Danny Fields knew they couldn't play, but the record company didn't know that. So when they <laughs> yeah. heard, like, what do you got? And they're like, well, we got, like, three songs. Right. And they're like, oh, my God, no, like this band is horrible. <laughs> and they were, but horrible in the best way possible, like the best way any of us could have ever wanted or imagined. Yeah. Um. Oh, man, where'd the record go? All right. Anyway, well, I'll it's that. not in there. No, it must be on the record, the platter somewhere. Oh, it might be. It might be one of those thin 80s ones. And it's actually in here. Oh, it is. Oh, yep. Yep. Yeah. I have like an 80s pressing of, of uh, the you, first album. Just a, si- just a quick side note for record collectors. A uh, fun way of knowing if your record's from the 80s. Oh, no, it's not in here. It must be on the platter. Oh. But, yeah, I know what you mean, 80s pressings. Very thin. Oh. So, anyway, Stooges, so right? That's what we're talking about. The Stooges' first album. Yep. Um. So, they take the Stooges, and they were like, oh, what are we going to do with this band? So, they give them to John Cale of the Velvet Underground. And they're mm. like, you're artsy. Figure this one out. Right? So the Stooges really only have a couple songs. They kind of form the other ones. The ones that are, I mean, this album is so strong, though. You yeah. have 1969, which has the, you know, like if you've heard Alice Cooper's 18, it's kind of that vibe. But yeah. it has what I would arguably say is the best wah-wah solo that has ever existed <laughs> and has ever been laid down. There's none better. Can you think of a better wah-wah song? I mean, I don't want to get into it, Luke, but Kirk Hammett is a Oh, get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here, man. Ron Ashton on guitar lays down the most inspired yeah, no, agreed. Wawa solo. Agreed, agreed, he agreed, took he Fuck took that hand. advance and made it he, he squeezes it for every dime it was worth in this one song. Yeah. The uh, just the fuzz the the wah and the fuzz solo on 1969 is amazing. Has a Bo Diddley beat, like I was saying. Um Iggy Pop is like inspired on it. It's got the great hand claps. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing going on. Um, another song on here, I Want to Be Your Dog. Let's talk lyrical content. <laughs> Let's All right? talk lyrical content. It's time for another segment, another episode of lyrical content. Let's talk about, okay, let's talk about, let's talk about like the sexual freedom of I Want to Be Your Dog. Like, it, that's all that is. He's like being, yeah. 
saying like, you know, now I want to be face to face, lay right down in my favorite place. Now I want to be your dog. Like he wants to be, you know, sub- submissive. He wants to be abused. Yeah. Like this, this is some heavy stuff. This is some uh, freeing stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you it's could, pretty just, groovy as well. Just I mean, by his stage performance, though. Yes. Also, Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like the way that he would dance. We were talking about it earlier. He like Luke. It t- looks like a, like like <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. Okay. So it either looks it looks like he's a like a rooster about to like mow down in a cockfight. Yeah. Right. Like he's about to like do that. He does his like rooster cock thing, and then he's also looks like he is a rooster about to mount a hen or something like that is the other one it's like oddly sexual it's like so depraved it's every it's the lyrics of i want to be your dog i think i saw a great picture of him and i I, and i i only saw it like i didn't get i didn't get like the the best look at it but i saw this great picture where it looked like he was like crowd surfing but not crowd surfing he was literally just like people were just holding him up by oh, his was that feet. when he's smearing peanut butter i might be smearing peanut butter or he's like i think he's like holding the mic out or something like that but yeah that yeah that another weird thing didn't he like he would like cut his chest and stuff too sometimes yes okay so let's talk about that he's gg yeah. allen in the 80s yeah Ugh. where did that come from Iggy yeah. pop mutilating himself on stage cutting his chest smearing yeah. peanut butter everywhere like it was poop yeah like, right it's the like Gigi Allen took it to the conclusive next level. Ugh. Good for him, I guess. Yeah, you know whatever. But like, he played himself. The stu- that's where that was coming from. It was the Stooges, and like, you know, like yeah. we're we're kind of like you know diving deep in here. But like the songs on this record are so. And then we will fall is the right. So that's kind of like the more John Cayley thing on here is like the droney. Um, uh, like Tibetan monk, like kind yeah. of thing. It's got that going on. It's ten minutes long. Yeah, it is straight. Like we need ten minutes on this album, boys, because you only got like seven songs. I remember when I first heard that, I was like, "What the? F- what is this?" It's so yeah. It's, it's so, so like bizarre. But but good good on the album. I mean, yeah. I don't hate it. Yeah 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 yeah. Right, and um, then you have like no fun, real cool time, little doll. Not you know not yeah. right, and it, the it's just like that. It's that same Ramones vibe, man. It's the loser vibe, making yeah. it great. Uh, but also Iggy Pop Man singing "I Want to Be Your Dog" is probably the most like forward like yeah. thing on this record that's ever like. It's so it's so ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, and I just Nin- I love this the, 1969. I love the pictures on the, the the of the four of them on the back of the first. Album. Oh yeah, it's okay. So like... what what album does this look like to you? Because this looks to me like one album very in particular. This dude's first album. It looks like The Doors' first album. Oh, yeah. doesn't look exactly like The Doors on on Electric Records. Yeah. It's Danny Fields. That's such a great album. He saw them and he went, they're the next Doors. And he was pretty much right. He Um, was pretty much right because, yeah. Because, like, the MC5 in that scene kind of fizzle out, right? But the other one that's still kind of like you have the Stooges, they go to LA and they release Funhouse, which, like, me and Mike were talking about, is like. It's, I mean, it's one of the greatest albums of all time. It's. It might be in my top five now. It's like uh, it's, here we go. Yes, well, finally we get to construct Luke's top five because I've already mentioned a few of my top five. Like I mean, mine are all like usually like uh, Mellotron heavy, like psyche pop albums, yeah. right? Like uh, <laughs> like uh, Odyssey and Oracle, <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, Pet Sounds. But um, I mean, I really love rock and roll, and like I don't think there's a record that rocks better than Funhouse. And every time I listen to it, so it good. hits me harder every time. It yeah. o- they only get better. And like we were saying, there's strong rock and roll on there. Also, it's like the fusiony freak out thing. It's like so punk. It's yeah. so like 
the saxophone wailing on it. Every song has like, um, and this is the other part too that I thought was cool about Funhouse, man. Like, okay, so the Stooges are from Detroit, right? Yeah. It has like a funk Motowny, like Yeah. You know what I mean? At for as like raunchy and rock and roll as it is, it like primitive. It's also got funky, funky, funky parts on it. Right. Which yeah. which takes from where they were from. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that was like super, super cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, Funhouse is I mean, I, I love it light years even ahead of the first Stooges album. It every song on Funhouse is you know, it's, it's like just, it's like you not... enter a haunted house and the fun house and then you walk through it and <laughs> as you're walking through it, the walls are collapsing in on you and yeah. then by the last song you can't find your way out and you're buried under the rubble. It's like <laughs> that's what it's like. It's yeah, it's so powerful, man. It's so powerful and uh like we were talking to like Iggy like oh, yelling at the so yelling at the sax player. Blah! Oh yeah, and he would do those like those whales and stuff again but like I, almost commanding the band like james brown but in a punk like animal style yeah it's like by it's, like going like Aah! and like the band would bring it down or up from it's like his james screams. it's like james brown meets uh, jim morrison <laughs> yeah it's exactly what it is. <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah. really like yeah i yeah, also yeah, yeah. yeah so, i keep making that that no but, but it's just, i also I mean, found too that like a lot of these had like sax solos on like raving like like lunaticy sax on it like yeah. the the ted nugent album had it from 1970 uh marriage on the rocks by the amboy dukes um the uh stooges funhouse had it uh, i think alice cooper's first album had it so yeah. like let's talk about some of the other bands though so like we kind of we, we hit heavy on like the two really big ones right the two i mean and i think we're gonna do an episode on them eventually someday in the distance right because yeah. they're like so so fun and there's so many stories you can get into but um i'd say like let's talk about alice cooper because like alice cooper really brought in like another element of showmanship and hard rock coming from detroit like so Alice Cooper band kind of goes to San Francisco to form, right? Uh, originally, uh, Alice Cooper himself is from Detroit. And they go to San Francisco. They get signed with um, Frank Zappa. You know what I mean? And they release those two albums that are kind of psychedelic. Um, and they don't fare well. Um, I think the first one's just called Alice Cooper. And then the f- second one is, oh, man, that name is so blanking on me. Um, oh, I know. And I was just looking Is it at- called Love It to Death? Maybe I was just looking at it last night too. Um, I can't think of it, but oh no, "Love It to Death" is the name of the 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 third album. Um, what the frick is the name of it? That's uh, I got it. I'll look it up. He's we're getting it. We're getting it right now, everybody. Um, so he releases two albums. He's signed by Frank Zappa because you know Frank Zappa walks in, he sees them play, and he goes, "Well, anybody that can clear a room is my kind of people." Yep. I'm gonna sign this band, <laughs> but um, they really just don't like figure it out, right? Um, they, they're pretty psychedelic in the way like the Amboy Dukes were at first, but they were like way more theatrical, psychedelic-y and yeah. like, you know, they weren't more like crunching it down and getting the structures of the songs. It was really jammy. Um, yes. Also the discography goes Alice Cooper. No, no. What's the first one? Pretties for you. Oh, that's the name 69, of 69. Easy action. 70. Yep. Love it to death. 71 killer. 71. School's Out 72, Billion Dollar Baby 73, and then Muscle of Love 73. So yes. that's, I mean, that's a good, that's a good, like, the, as the band. And then he the would original, go on and yeah, go, the, so, orig- the solo albums, like Welcome to My Nightmare and After is all solo stuff. But Right, the, we're talking uh, about the original album. I mean, Cooper that's band. I mean that's a great, steady, like, you get one album 69, 
one and seventy. Yeah, two so, and seventy one, one seventy two, and then two and seventy three. So, so the first one though, he's it, cooking. You know, yeah, the first two were on Frank Zappa's label, mm. right? And then that kind of yeah, folded. Barking pumpkin. Yeah. Uh, nope. It's Isn't the it? the Warner Brothers straight label. Oh, I think I, it was I think Frank pumpkin. had a um a like an offshoot. Or that something. he just did with, I think he, that he produced just his stuff on. Yeah, I think so. It was something like that. But uh, they were on. Um, yeah, I think I don't think it was Barking Pumpkin. I believe it was an, another one. A different it, one. Yeah. I might. You might be right though. But um, if not, they were definitely reissued by Warner Brothers label. Um, so Warner Brothers really has the Alice Cooper band right, and they're like, "What are we gonna do with this band?" Um, so they don't really know. They get dumped on producer Bob Ezrin, who we knew, who we know from like The Wall and Aerosmith. Right, this mm. was his first really big album. Um, he convinced Alice Cooper to condense his songs a little bit into more uh, structured pieces. Yep. And like then through that, they found that the theatrics of their natural theatrical nature ended up kind of popping out more because it was more pronounced in the lyrics and the tones. Um, and like, I mean, like I said, the real gem on here of the hard rock sound of like the 1970, because, uh, like 1970 is, you know, around 69 is the first Stooges, uh, 1970s, this one, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, well, it, no, yeah. this is, is this uh, 71? I think it was 71. Yeah. yeah, this is 71, but that's all in that kind of same era. Frigid Pink, I know is 1970. The Amboys Duke Marriage on the Rocks is 1970. This was seventy one. Yeah, so I thought this, well, that's love it to death, right? Yeah, that's yeah, this was seventy one. Um, so this album comes out, love it to death. Alice Cooper has I'm eighteen on it. Like that song is so much in the same style of like the the Stooges and the MC Five, and it's that like, uh, this album's like Alice Cooper. Like you wouldn't believe it, but is highly influential on so many prominent people in the punk movement. They were like, oh yeah, like Alice Cooper's "I'm 18," like that, like disjointed. "I'm 18." Also, like uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids, "Blank Generation," one of like the punk anthems. Yeah, that's like another take on "I'm 18." You know, I belong to the Blank Generation. Well, Alice Cooper, I mean, I love that song. Like lines form in my face and hands, line form to the left and right. Oh, I'm in I the know. middle without any plan. Like I'm a boy and I'm a man. Like. When you're 18, 18, has any song ever hit you harder? And that harder? guitar riff, the... Yeah, man. It's just so... It just Their cuts guitar you. solo in that? Oh. Yeah, the original, like the original Alice Cooper band... Is amazing. Don't sleep on. That's what I'm saying. That but stuff, the, that's what like I'm talking about is like you clearly have a Detroit hard rock sound, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. But that's but what's so crazy is is you clearly have this Detroit rock. Where's sound. my documentary? For, oh, yeah. Where's my documentary? Yeah, can we get a documentary, please? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Where's my... No, I mean, I, I'm not... I, 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 I mean, I agree. should... I guess we should write the book, but, like, where's the book? <laughs> Maybe we should write the book. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, where is the love for Detroit? Because, like, yeah, the industry's everywhere else, and Motown was the only industry, like, really bumping up there, but, like, all those bands are from one place, and they all have a... And that's the, what, a dis- distinct American hard rock sound. And what's cool, too... Is if you look at it from like a think think about it. Can I can I throw this your way, man? Yeah. I know there's a lot of bands from other different places, people, but the um, sheer amount of influential bands from the new you have, like even I'm gonna throw Aerosmith in and Jay Giles from Boston. Yeah. But you so you have Aerosmith, Jay Giles, like Alice Cooper, all in that same Ted Nugent, and they would later Ted and Bob Seger, they would later push 
the what the hard rock sound would be for the later 70s. They were the oh, most yeah. popular hard rock bands, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're from the same area, and yet this area gets constantly like not narrated into the rock and roll uh, narrative yeah. for me. Because yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this one is one you have to seek out. It's not one that is going to pop out to you. The, what I'm saying is there might be a book. And this is the other thing too, man. Like me and Mike didn't find it. If you're listening to this and you know of a book and you're that guy that wrote that book, we are going to apologize to you tenfold. And I will read that book because I'm so yeah. interested and passionate about these bands that that's why yeah. I'm, like, I'm just like, where's the love, man? But even trying to find anything, even like uh, I mean, there's you, love man, for I'm, these bands, but the scene. Like make, yeah, because these bands. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah the scene. Like not you know because you there are Alice Cooper documentaries, there are Stooges documentaries, there are this and other bands are I'm assuming uh, most of the time are mentioned it's right. just somewhere along the documentary. But the focus is on the individual band. But yeah, the actual the scene itself because right. it because that's what's so crazy to me is that they are all from Detroit, right? They're mm-hmm. all Detroit bands. Uh, they're all about the same age. Yep. You know what I mean? Um. And yet, like the and the, the, there is that like kind of iconic sound that they all seem to share. But every single band has their own like s- very distinctive kind of like I don't want to call it like an angle, but you know what I mean. So you have Alice Cooper, and he's like more horror, and you have the Stooges, which is more like sexual and violent, and then you have <laughs> <laughs> and sexual then, and violent. Yeah, like, for that, real, that's a good though. description. And then you have you know you have Bob Seger, who's who like you said earlier is kind of like the Springsteen uh, uh, kind of <laughs> angle, which is like you know I'm just like the, the he like right. He, and then Bob the MC Five would be like the Neil Young political, right, but right, more right, right. but more aggressive. Like yeah. everything in the scene too is like brought to the umpteenth level like yeah, like that's what i'm bob seeger is like uh, like the american the american yeah right like like well everybody knows that line woke up uh woke last night to the sound of thunder you know how far yeah. off i sat and like that's one of the most american apple pie lines ever written oh, in yeah. music right and so like every one of these bands too is like Not up moves. to the, the 10th degree of what that <laughs> what it is right like alice cooper yeah. is to the 10th degree theatrical uh, ted nugent is to the <laughs> 10th i mean <laughs> right the, he's the ultimate but, but, personality but, but, the what, stooges are the ultimate rock and what roll. i think is so interesting though is how they all always very much like pay homage to the city of detroit right you know what i mean there's like we were talking earlier like motor city is like a is like a phrase that's yeah like ten, kind of a kind of mentioned somewhere whether yeah, the it's MC a lyric five or, or the an, motor city or, five yeah uh ted, ted nugent's is the motor, motor city, city madman Mad <laughs> right <laughs> you so, know yeah, yeah. I, it's everywhere and too so we were talking like alice cooper and all these bands seem to somewhat have a disinfectant like dis- disaffected that's what i'm trying to say disaffected youth kind of thing going on yeah um the, and like because they're yeah they're the children of factory workers, workers man right and that's where they're they're they, even though they're not saying that directly you i hear that in almost but every I, single one of these bands to be fair i'll say this if you listen to black sabbath if you listen to Same early thing. Black Sabbath, they're talking. You're talking about working class kids. Birmingham, England. Birmingham, England. That's those are fact. Those were factory towns. I mean, that's and and there's that. There's a vibe to that as well that I think can kind of you can hear here yeah. as well in certain contexts. No, like, I, not I, I all get it. it but, I but you know what it. I'm saying. And so, like, those are kind of, like, the bigger ones. And then, like, me and Mike had, like, it, there's another. There's big, some honorable mentions for sure. Yeah, there's definitely bigger ones. Like, uh, even gr- well, Grand, Grand, Funk, Grand Funk, Railroad. Funk Railroad, not from Detroit, but from Flint, Michigan. Yeah. But still, I mean, we could talk 
I mean, hours about Flint, Michigan right now. You know yeah. what I mean? And that kind of people who are from Flint, I mean, Michael Moore has made many a movie about Flint, Michigan. We all know. Yeah. Whatever. And we're not talking politics here. I don't agree with anything. Not everything Mike, Michael Moore says, you know, whatever. But what I'm saying yeah. is it's a hard place, right? That's what I'm saying. And uh, Grand Funk Railroad, they come out of there. And they kind of have that heavy power trio uh, cream influence. That's what I noticed about these bands too. Very cream influence. Yeah. Uh, and like power trio. Power trio, right? And they kind of have that same exact thing going on. Hard, heavy rock. Yeah. And like where else? Very bassy, heavy, fuzzy. Yeah. And like, I mean, Grand Funk like is a little different than maybe like what the other bands that we've said. But I mean, as far as heavy rock, they're just like another blend of the tree on heavy rock. They're an rock. American band, man. They are an American <laughs> band, right? And they're from Detroit. They're working class. They weren't putting on airs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they were like, yeah, this is your band too, right? Yeah. Like, that's the vibe I get from all of these guys. They're like, this could be you. We're you know? coming to your town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to party down, bro. <laughs> we're an American band. And that's what I, I really, you know what I mean? I, yeah. Like, the Grand Funk, it, they think... start heavier. They kind of get more melodic as they go on through the years, you know? I would also just like to say that on the Grand Funk, what's known as, like, the Red Album, uh, honorable mention of a song, uh, Inside Looking Out. Oh, yes. Come on, man. You know, and that's what I love, too, is like all yeah. of them oh, also, also had like some deep cuts, which was cool, where they kind of did explore, exploratory sorts of... If me and Mike are throwing out album recommendations from Grand Funk, like the only one I mess with on a regular basis all the time is the Red Album, the second Grand Funk album. Yeah. It's called, like, it's just called Grand Funk. It's got a red cover. That album is, if you're like, if you're the heavy rock... Um, especially like Power Trio Heavy Rock. I think we've shouted this one out on the Power Trio episode, and if not, Probably. shame on us. But yeah. the Red Grand Funk album, the second one, is one of the most amazing, amazing, amazing albums, yeah, like the, hard rock albums from that era. To, to early, and I also think that's 1970 as well. If not, it's 69, 70, yeah, 71. It's, somewhere, it's, in, it's that somewhere in that in that Yeah, in that pocket of say like 65 to 70 uh, to 75 and you know these, that's like and these that, guys me, um that's like the these guys kind of get trashed by critics but if you're into hard rock guys and we all know that if you're into hard rock critics have never liked our genre of music ever yeah like it gets reappraised afterwards as great um yeah. this one is one of the, it's a really cool album if yeah, you're the, into like zeppelin one if you're into sabbath if you're into deep purple check out grand funk railroad's yeah. second album even because you might just know them as we're an american band this doesn't sound like that it's i heavy. think it's I hard think, and heavy yeah the i think the only grand funk albums you need is the red album and the live album i mean if you're into heavy heavy rock right yeah i mean if yeah, you, yeah, yeah. If you just, dig the singles is, like locomotion and american band buy those records because those are cool too but if you're into like hard heavy deep purple mountain black sabbath yeah. that kind of stuff Look no further than Grand Funk too, because Grand yeah. Funk was definitely be mentioned, and their live double live album is one of the heaviest, most awesome things of all time. Yeah. So, um, so um, other, uh, uh, like other stuff too, we wanted to throw out is like um, I was kind of like looking more too in the Frigid Pink. Um, yeah. If you haven't heard them, they do their like claim to fame is um, their cover of House of the Rising Sun, which again has like uh, one of the greatest fuzz like guitars on it of all time. Um, Frigid Pink released an album on uh, the Parrot label, Parrot slash London Records, um, and it is like fuzzy and awesome. And if you're into that kind of thing, Man. fuzzed out heavy guitar, it sounds a lot like uh, you know the Alice Co- like Alice Coopery guitar tone. Yeah. Um, it was a bit more jammy. Um, 
it's I'll tell like you. not as focused. But if you're into like acidy rock kind of rock stuff, that was it. For yeah. Me. Oh, I'll, dude. I. They also do a boogeyman, and they you know who they shout out? Candy. Because they were the kings of the boogie. Bro. They <laughs> yeah. do a heat style boogie like that kind of thing. And they shout out Candy. Candy, another Made American band. very happy, band. yes. Another American band. But uh, yeah, I'll say that I remember when I bought this album. Um, I don't even know if I bought this album before I knew that you bought this album but, or whatever. But I mean, you look at the cover and it's just how can you not buy this album? Oh, like, yeah. You, if, if, frigid, you buy, if you look up Frigid Pink, man, like the album, you guys, like, if you're like a psych fan, you'll look it up and be like, yep, this is one. Yeah. And your copy, it still has the little price tag thing on the sleeve. And it says for six bucks, if I was flipping through a pile of records and I saw this for six bucks, I would take a chance on it. And oh, then, my God. Yeah. You know where I bought that? Where? Where's this one from? Uh, Tumbleweeds. Oh, you got this from Dumbleweed? Yeah, man. I right was just on. like, yeah, that was a score and a half, bro. Yeah. Six bucks, cleaned it up. Yeah, and I'm telling you, man, this is an, I, 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 like, I'll say, I remember when I bought it, and then um, when I listened to it, it's just- it's it's right up gr- your alley. And it's just a great album front to back. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's and, just and like, is, there's not there's not a bad song on the record. Every right. song is just, you're like, oh, yeah, this is killer. And this is the thing, guys. It's not deep. It's just fun, right? Like, it's just heavy, fun rock. There's nothing yeah. like, there's nothing that's going to, like, change your worldview on your- you know, it's, right, it's right, not Dark it, Side of the Moon. It's just loud, heavy, dumb, and fun. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's I, great I about it. Frigid Pink, man. Yeah, I, I, I was into it. Fuzzy Rock, Detroit, and it sounds like like the Alice Cooper band sounds. It has that same kind of feel to it. You know what I mean? And that's when I was like, the more I listened. Yeah. Um, the one band that I wanted to like shout out to that I like does sound like these bands, I guess, a little bit, but it's Motown produced, so it does have that sound to it, is Rare Earth. Yeah. Because Rare Earth, also from Detroit, um, had their own record label on the offshoot of Motown named after them called Rare Earth Records. So yeah. um, they were the only white band on Motown that had a hit um, yeah. with their cover of Get Ready. Um, yeah. which on the album is 21 minutes long. I listened to it while I took a shower, got dressed, brushed my teeth, put my clothes on. <laughs> yeah. Dude, uh, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite songs by them is um, I Just Want to Celebrate. Oh, my God, man. Yeah. It's just like, it's, but it's, but, but when a I bit, hear a that. A bit more, a bit more to to the R and B produced, and I think it, it's because they were signed to Motown. But I mean, yeah. I thought they like they had some like fuzz guitar on this on their first uh, release, and definitely on the second release I listened yeah. to last night. They could, I think that they they had the ability to play heavy, but they kind of reined it in Dial, a little bit, dialed it in. Yeah, they yeah a, a, a bit just because obviously it was Motown produced. Um, so. Get ready though, definitely. Okay, so like the first album is called is Get Ready, right on Rare Earth Records. Side two has a twenty one minute version. That's the only song on there of it. You know, everyone kind of takes a solo. Do you know what it reminded me of? What? Okay, so it reminded me of like two like a. <laughs> I can just imagine somebody in the record company going, going. Okay, you got Indigata DeVita, and you got Vanilla Fudge. <laughs> yeah, right. We're going to combine them. Yeah. So you have, like, a rock band doing a long, like, a, a heavier cover yeah. of an R&B tune. Vanilla right. Fudge would do it all the time. I mean, yep. you, you uh, keep me hanging on, right? And then it also has the psych, long, full album side thing where everybody takes, like, a solo of Indigata DeVita. And that's, yeah. like, the vibe I got of, like, they were sitting around like, hmm. What can we do? Oh, these kids like long songs and they like <laughs> covers of R&B songs. Can we just talk? Can we? Can I just say, though? But like to, to, to also say Get Ready is a, uh, is a kick in tune and oh, it's yeah. like one of the best hard rock pieces yeah, to yeah. come out of Detroit of the period. Yeah. And you should listen to it. I'm just saying how how amazing must have it been for, in a, just from a from a purely musical standpoint to 
live in that time because just think about how many amazing albums are dropping just in a year. Right. Like I mean, 19, how many? 1970 in one city from one city. Yeah. Right. 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 Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, and, and then if you think about what's happening in the UK in the 70s and then you hear the, you know what I mean? And what I'm saying is, is like, it's just, oh my God, what a time to be alive uh, for for the music that was right. being put out, you know, because you could get whatever you wanted. You could get like the big, dumb, loud. You could get the raw, violent and sexy. And then you could also get the very politically conscious right. stuff, you know, in all forms from folk to the from Bob Dylan to the MC5, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there was that, a there was a large there was a large thing going on. And like yeah. even even just in the city of Detroit, you had like the the spectrum of hard rock and every like kind of faction it would it would break off to yeah. into other you know what I mean because you had like punk rock and then you had like like uh riff rock like Ted Nugent where it would go in the 70s like super corporate epic records you know what I mean oh like, yeah and to, to talk to Ted Nugent as well like you know the first album uh, the first Ted album the first Ted Nugent solo album with like Stranglehold and Stormtrooping and all that stuff dude you know what I heard you know what I heard on the ripping. way over here you got me caught in a stranglehold, baby. But another one where it's like, okay, yeah, that, that's that song. That's a pretty long tune. You know yeah. what I mean? For, for, but that's but that's another album too. Where like I remember when I bought it and I put it on, and I was just like, there's not a bad song on this. Yeah, album. like two guys. If you're like a Ted Nugent hater because of Ted Nugent, like. You know what changed my mind, man? Like, it was never you, because Mike was chirping in my ear <laughs> to be like, man, you gotta listen to Ted. Like, I'm telling you, it's so good. You're gonna love it. And I was like, nah, bro. Like, that dude's a... I don't, I don't, I don't jive with yeah, him, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was... Understandable. Uh, it was uh, listening to Ian McKay uh, from Minor Threat and Henry Rollins, and they said... What records did you would influence you? What did you listen to? And they when you were kids and they were like Ted Nugent and uh Ian McKay's like, I still have the record. It's so <laughs> yeah. it's good. He's like, whatever Ted Nugent, he's like, I don't care. The music inspired me. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like and that's cool, man. And that's what gave me that and when I watch that like watching him say that, that takes balls for a punk kid to be like, Yeah, I listen to Ted Nugent whatever like that's right. and i realized that that was the most punk rock thing you could do was to listen to whatever you wanted to man mm. like it was and it was him going like yeah i like ted nugent and i'm in fugazi like eat me what are you gonna do like <laughs> oh, I, right. i'm so uniquely me you're not yeah, gonna make and, me feel bad for being myself and the thing is is like let's be real here people are still like and we, that dropped I, my we, wall i love strangle like if stranglehold came i came on the uh, radio today on my way back home and I cranked it as loud as my truck would go, yeah. and I screaming like, you know, you got me caught in a stranglehold, baby. Dude, even stormtrooping. Yeah. It's like I'm a huge Ted Nugent fan. Come and get ready, get ready. And his singer too, the uh, the what, I forget what the guitar the, the bass player. player. No guitar oh, player. Oh, is it the guitar player? Yeah, he played the junior. He played Les okay. Paul oh, Junior. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but um, Motor City Madhouse. It's yeah, it's like I don't know, man. That one, and then okay, like he he loses me as time progresses. Yeah, but um, let's know? talk to like that, two two of two of the albums. greatest like live albums too of the later period. Double are Live Gonzo, Double Live Gonzo, and Bob Seger's uh, live album. Yeah, and the live album, his Double Live, right? That and was like what kind of for Bob Seger that that broke him. Yeah. That Double Live album. I yeah. mean, come on, it's like a Bob Seger's. It's it's so good. It's yeah. so good. You listen to it, and it's the antithesis of everything he had been building to. Yeah. And then after that, I mean, you're getting like night movies, and then after that, you get nine tonight, whatever. But just again, I I know we keep saying it, but like 
it's just so it's it feels so American working class. You listen yeah. to him and you're just like, oh, Bob Seger. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I feel I, for some reason I feel like Bob Seger would smell like oil and leather. Yeah, man, <laughs> you know like, what I mean? And like cigarettes. It's like what'd you do before the show? I changed my oil. Yeah, like, right, know, right, like, right, right. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. He's like, what'd you do last weekend? I took my girl out by the creek. Yeah, like, by the creek. Yeah, we went parking by the creek. Uh, I I don't know. You know, man. Yeah. Like that's what that's the vibe I get. And no, it, for sure, man. And I, even like where know. like Ted Nugent isn't like, um, what do I want to say? Like Ted Nugent isn't my jam. Like he's still singing about like the great white buffalo and like the American like tradition in some aspect. Oh right? yeah, and I think the and thing, it, this is the I thing mean about- to also he's singing like we also know, man. Like anybody listening, we also know he sings Wang Bang Sweet Poo Tang. <laughs> Like so, let's not get it twisted. No, but for real, for it, real. he yeah. is doing he's, that. He's like a, a, like you know. a lot of working class people hunt. A yeah. lot of them. That's how they get their meat. That's how they feed themselves. That's yeah. how they. And that's how What's, Ted Nugent was kind of living his life. That's how he was raised. The thing about I. The thing that. Uh, the similarity that I found between Ted Nugent and Gene Simmons, which was the very much like no stimulants, no intoxicants. Yes. But. Very, but a, breeds a, a but certain a, type of, of person, a sex addicted person <laughs> is the type of person that it bred. Because really, I mean, it, it, like you got to call it what it is, man. Yeah, like Ted. Like Nugent. Ted Nugent was like a crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he so was, was all Gene about, Simmons. Yeah, and so was Gene. Yeah, yeah. So I, I found, you know, I, I thought those two were kind of, and they're both, ha- they're both that hailing that Detroit is the Rock City. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So okay. Yeah, so let's but, talk about two, that too, man. Okay, this is something I found as well. That live albums were breaking people, right? Detroit, man. Everybody would go yeah. record their live album in Detroit. Kiss, alive, most of it was recorded in Detroit. And that's why when Kiss came back and they were super popular, they shouted out that city like nobody yeah. business. Yeah. Right? Like, I feel, well, because like nobody was paying Kiss to say that Detroit was the rock. You know what I'm saying? They knew that. Yeah. And Bob Seeger knew that. And Ted Nugent knew that. They everybody knew that secret that they had the best yeah. rock and roll fans that had ever existed were yeah. in Detroit in that period. Because think of how many bands they broke one, and then the live albums that helped break like Bob Seger, mostly Detroit. You know, uh, and it, it's like well, there it's was the a two examples, way. but like, come on, man! Like, it's, even though Kiss Alive yeah. wasn't really recorded live, like, you know what I mean? It's the whole spirit of the thing where they put the fans yeah. on on the back cover and. You know, and they it's made the it like same, a thing for them. For me, it's the same way that, um, like, the Fillmore would become to known as well. You know what I'm trying to mean? You know what I'm trying to yeah, say? Like, like, there was just they like, had their own scene up there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's and, what and that's what I, I want to know more about. Like, and that's what I think maybe like what we're kind of like me and Mike were like kind of say like when I said like let's talk about Detroit bands and Mike was even like well, what do you kind of mean man like yeah you know and there's such like a legacy of these bands and I want like and I would love for like Jack White to like lay down some history on me because that let's talk about Detroit hard rock in the current age yeah Jack White is from Detroit yeah Jack White is really one of the only rock and roll guy I mean let guys I know there's a tons of bands out there and I listen to a lot of new ones but if we're talking people that aren't searching thick yeah. um your surface stuff a lot of the surface rock Jack White's in the band right now like yeah. that's it also quick to speak to not to veer off too too much but even up to more present day, you have like rap and hip hop artists coming out of Detroit. Iconic Eminem, D12. Like these are guys right. who are like who are again similarly. I think just the next generation of 
kids who were growing up who were like, you know what I mean, who lived in at that point, especially at that point you're talking, you're flashing forward. Detroit is deteriorating. I mean, you you know, what would be cool, man. This is what would be cool for me right now. Like, this is the history I want. Like, I want like if a record company would like put out a compilation that would say like Detroit Rock in 1970. You could find it. Also, too, man. Um, I don't know. Like, shout out to uh, uh brown uh brown uh brown acid records. Uh, no, Easy Riding. Easy Riding. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry, do. guys. Easy Rider Records. Yeah. Um, they release a comp uh, compilation called uh Brown Acid. Uh, and it features unknown hard and heavy bands that maybe only release one single. I was looking on the back of those last night because I was like, I bet you that there was a ton of bands from Detroit. And there was a ton of bands from Detroit on yeah. that series. Um, they, I think they released like eight or nine of them. Um, again, that's writing Easy Records, and they have that compilation, uh, yeah, Brown they, Acid. Yeah, Check it out. If you're into hard and heavy, fuzzed-out rock and roll, those yeah. compilations are full of unknown bands. That um, And he pays them, too. Did you know that? Oh, really? Before he puts them on those comps, guys, this is one of those comps that I highly recommend because he pays those artists to, that he puts on those comps. He finds them. Uh, and he actually pays the bands, and that's wicked, wicked cool. So uh, Easy yeah. Rider Records, guys. Yeah. Um, and a level. lot of those bands were from Detroit. You know what I'm saying? So there's more out there. I want like I'd like a compilation of maybe just Detroit bands, or like it would be cool if there was a book like kind of relaying some of the history of of yeah. Detroit hard rock because yeah, because I, I mean, feel like the cities that get the Long two, music man. documentaries is what New York. Yeah, let's talk to Cream Magazine. Uh, Lester oh, yeah. Bangs. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. from Detroit. Yeah, that's what where that, that yeah. was happening. Yeah, we didn't even like talk about that yet. And that's like the other element. There's so much stuff going on that I I want like a more. I feel yeah. like it, it it's it's ripe for a documentary. It's ripe for a book. Um, and I, I'm sure if I'm sure maybe there is one out there. And if there is, I mean, if someone hears this and knows it, sh- shoot it our way because we want to know. And like I was even asking people on Instagram, I didn't really get any uh, reactions, but I was like, Detroit hard rock bands. Like, what do you guys know any? Like, let's name them because uh, this is just this episode here is really just me and Mike's uh, record collections that we have like n- like kind of pieced together this yeah. kind of story, uh, this kind of narrative of Detroit hard rock because we listen to a lot of hard rock and. You know, we collected a lot of it, and I re- yeah. I was realizing that most of it was coming from a lot of it was coming from Detroit. You know, um, other stuff I wanted to touch on too. Um, there is a music documentary. Uh, it's called a band called Death. Um, this is a punky band from Detroit uh, in about 1974, 1975. Um, they recorded some great funky, punky, um, bad brainsy sounding mm. uh, pre bad brains music. Um, not like I mean, you listen to it. It's really great. Uh, the record to seek out is "Death for All the World to See." Um, and it's a one. Was it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven songs on here? It, it's of the demos that they made in Detroit, nineteen seventy-five. Um, in the uh, documentary that accompanies this record, it's a band called Death. I uh, highly recommend it. It was really good. I really love this record. Mm. Um, and it's like a uh, proto punk from Detroit. And again, it's like taking on what uh, the Stooges and the MC5 had laid down and kind of it's a couple years after that and it's the missing link, you know, kind of thing between like the Ramones and that. Gotcha. Um, not that Death ever really made it. Um, they were kind of one of those like tried real hard and couldn't get it together kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the record's really good for all the world to see. Uh, song on there, if you want to check out just one, is uh, Politicians in My Eyes. Mm. Politicians in my eyes. It's really good. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So that's like the the kind of the, the legacy going on, and 
you know, I, I, I just, I just want, I, I just want to know more. That's, that's it. Yeah. And I want to know more. And I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to be able to like, you know, maybe present to you guys like a, a more fuller story of, of it. And like, maybe like more of like, like maybe some of the movers and shakers in the actual scene, you know, um, in I, I guess this story is out there, but like Mike was saying, it's like in 15 different documentaries. So yeah. if you want to kind of get the story of Detroit, hard rock or rock and roll in, in general, you kind of got to piece it together yourself in some kind of narrative. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd just like to see more ideas on, on what people think and why people why what was happening out there that I mean, we all know that it's the Motor City that's factory. But like for me as an East Coaster, um, I get kind of like uh, uptight on the all, all on the, salty. Yeah, I get salty on the West Coast love because yeah. you got all these bands like you know like of of like the West Coast filmory thing going on, and in like the English bands are highly regarded. That the British hard rock heavy metal, yeah, everybody knows about it. But like American hard rock for some reason, it doesn't get like the the uh, maybe like the the kind of um, like romantic romanticized cred mm. that like the Fillmore scene has. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that though. I feel that for even sure. Even like because... the, the heaviest bands coming out of America. I mean, I guess cause you had like blue cheer out West and, uh, iron butterfly or whatever, you know, out West. Uh, I mean, mountain, you know, long Island cactus, long Island. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, kiss, kiss, New York City. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? So, like, I'm, what I'm saying is, like, the har- Aerosmith, Boston, Jake Isles, Boston. Like, it's a different sound. It's heavy. Almond Brothers from down south, but, like, still, yeah. though. And that's what I'm saying. But Almond Brothers, I feel like, gets way more lumped in with the California thing. Yeah, because they went out. They yeah, because they went out there. But, Same with Tom Petty, because Tom Petty was originally an East Coaster, but right. he ended up going out California way. But like, and you can, can hear that, though. But, like, but can't you tell that they're East Coast? That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I can tell I, almost dude, every call time. Me, I'm telling you, call me crazy, but these bands sound like they've been winterized. I'm yeah. telling you. Cold, bitter, ugh, yeah, and that, that's, like, ugh, that angst that, like, when you're, I'm, j- I'm just saying, like, for, for yeah, those when of you who have, have an experience, like a, winter. No, like a northeastern, win- like a brutal northeastern winter, or even, especially a place like Chicago, it's, I mean, it's the windy city, bro, like, it's right. fucking cold, you know what I mean? And, like, up that way, like, Detroit and all that stuff, Michigan, harsh, a Michigan harsh. winter is freezing. Yeah, crazy and, cold, and that does something to a person, man, I'm telling you, right. especially if, as, like, you're a factory worker, so you're, like, real salt of the earth kind of people. And and, as and me, then it's like bitterly cold. As, it, it as manifests, me, and, me and Mike being factory workers yeah. and fans of like, that's why a lot of this more resonates to me on mm-hmm. uh, like, I, and I've said it before on the show. It's that like, it's the work I get. I get along real well with a working class band. Like it's yeah. when it, they like, you know, are putting on airs for me is when I'm, I get suspicious. Yeah, you, I get, get, you begin to get, like, disinterested. Well, I'm like, what are you trying to sell me, man? Like, right, right, <laughs> You know, right. I'm like, what's your angle there, yeah. fella? You yeah. know? Whereas, like, Johnny Johnny Ramone, I look at him, and I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. Right. Like, I've met you. I look at Iggy Pop, and I'm like, you're that weird kid in school. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, right, or, right, right. Or, like, I was you, you know? Yeah. Like, I, you, you look at Iggy Pop, and you're like, you know who he is. You've yeah. known people like him. Absolutely. I mean, you probably bummed a cigarette off. <laughs> Sorry, he's probably, actually. Let's be real. He probably bummed a cigarette off of you. You look at Iggy Pop, and I don't mean to. I don't mean for this to sound offensive in any way, but I look at Iggy Pop, and I'm like, he probably even smells bad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though. And it sounds that sounds like a kind of a terrible thing to say, but I hope you, I, I hope you, the listener, understand how I mean it with so much like love 
an adoration for Iggy yeah. Pop. Like, because I just, it's like, oh, because because I look at it like, yeah, because he's real. He's real. You know what I mean? You're like, he is re- almost to a fault. You know what I mean? He's so, he's very real. So. Right. Also, yeah. too, like, uh, guys, this is going to be a bit of, like, an interjection, but me and Mike, were pre- in preparing for the show, we're also talking about, like, maybe more modern uh, Detroit. So, like, right, we shouted out Jack White, but, yeah. um, and, you know, you shouted out Eminem. I mean, I don't agree with this man at any point, but if we're talking to hard rock working class people, you have to throw Kid Rock's name in the, in the, <laughs> oh, yeah. in, the right. in the bunch as well. Yeah. And for a sound of people who were br- trying to break, like, aren't they so, de- remember Eminem, like when he broke and it was like such a powerful thing because who would, who would break from Detroit at that point? Not only that, but like the, the, the again, you carrying remember, on you, from like the, you, this, this very visceral, you remember Kid, expletive, when like, Kid Rock broke, you know? like he's like devil without a cause, I'm going platinum, he told you what he was doing yeah. and he did it. Yeah, right, Like right. that's working class. He did, he said that when he was, and I, I don't, listen guys, again, this is not, I don't agree with what Kid Rock says in his like yeah. whatever. I'm talking like yeah, but if you're looking at it from time and place, time and, and like place, what was happening, and yeah. like the wood, like the Woodstock '99 days, yeah, Kid Rock couldn't have been bigger, no. and everybody liked him. So let's not, Dude, like, okay, let's not like, pretend like he kid, wasn't a giant, right? Artist. And like, let's just say, like, in, 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 I feel like very much in the uh, the Detroit kind of fashion, like the like if you look at that performance from the from the Woodstock show, it's like he does this like crazy long elaborate like intro just kind of like building 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 and then he comes out like dressed like a king or something uh a pimp a p- was it a pimp i yeah, thought it was he, like no, he's i thought in, he had like a like a king style like drape thing over uh, he's him or something. in oh he's in like a pimp suit he's oh. in the red he's in the red pimp suit i think and then he like takes it off and then he's in like the white wife or something like something, he's in one yeah, color yeah. and he, then like, he gets does, another he color. does like a outfit change like on stage but just because like what he's always oh, i think he's wearing like a i thought he was wearing like a big white fur coat. yes that's what it is and he's got like a cane yes like and then a he pimp. like and then whatever hat he's wearing he takes it he off takes he takes off he the puts pimp it on the cane and he hands that and the the uh the jacket to like you know his what who like the person and then uh yeah and then he kicks into it but it's like but that's you can hear you can hear like the angst and the anger and like almost every single artist that comes out of detroit regardless of the genre right when i like that's eminem when when i hear kid rock and i'm gonna make this like relative to like the attitude when i hear bob seger on that double live record that broke him in 76 when I hear him singing on that, I know that that's a man singing for his life because if he does not, that record doesn't break, he's not going to eat. Like, yeah. and that's what it's about, right? And then I hear Kid Rock, you know, in the 90s saying, Devil Without a Cause, I'm going platinum. Yeah. He's saying that when he's dirt broke. Right. What right. kind of fool was he? And he knew. Yeah. Because he's like, I'm I'm going to work so hard. And that's why I hear Bob Seger. Bob Seger singing, I'm going to work so hard that yeah. this is, has to work. Right. And I hear Kid Rock doing the same thing. I'm going to work so hard this has to work. And same with Jack White. I hear Jack White screaming his face off. It, yeah, especially it, in the beginning, the first few albums. So charged. And yeah. so, like, let's talk vision of Jack White. Jack White has a whole color scheme. You, if I say Jack <laughs> yeah, White right. in your head, you go, you go, oh, white. yeah, you go white, red. red and then you go black, and, and then yellow. you go blue and yellow, right? Yeah. 
So you have all these like colors. He colorizes uh, his career where you could kind of like visualize mm. him in that shape. Yeah, well, that was well said. I like that. No, he, I, he colorizes because well, that's so true. Yeah, and he has like a whole like vision planned out where, where same with Kid Rock. Kid Rock is the American right. barbecue monster trucks. Uh, shotgun and a beer, right? Right. It's a whole vision planted out for you, right? It's very American. Yeah. And uh, same with Bob Seger, very American, same thing. And same with Jack White. And Jack White, too. But he's coming out from the blues stance of it. Right, that's what I'm saying. Heavily influenced by, like, Sun House. Right, but he's going to give you it. The early Delta guys. Like we said earlier, it seems like these bands from Detroit are doing everything to the 10th fold. So Kid Rock is the 10th fold of, like, Monster Trucks, America, hell yeah. Yeah. Bob Seger's the tenth to the working class man, and even Jack White in the modern sense is the t- umph degree of what you can be in the blues genre. Yeah, right. The blues, so bl- blues, takes, but also very much like he's kind of the like Willy Wonka of rock and roll. So <laughs> yeah. he takes it to the umph degree again. Right, it's right. like that's what I'm talking about. It's yeah. like what is up with Detroit, where all these bands are like the tenth degree of the idea. Yeah, right. Because you have like fuzz guitar rock. and do it so well, and it, it, it doesn't feel like they're putting you on. Right, but and, the, and think, that's so honest. Like you listen to Alice Cooper, yeah. and you know that he's still a guy, right? Or yeah. you listen to Nugent, you know he's still like what I mean, Did, whatever. I mean, you listen to the Alice Cooper story, man, where like that chicken got like ripped to to pieces at a show. Alice Cooper's like, I've never been on a farm. Yeah, he's I didn't like, know. I don't know. He's like, man, I grew up in Detroit, bro. I didn't know that chickens couldn't fly. He's like, well, they kind of can fly, but they just fall afterwards or whatever. You right. know what he talks he, about it. I mean, uh, not to laugh on that happening. That's that's very yeah, sad But me and chicken, Mike but. grew up in the woods too, but like we did, I don't know how the hell to hold a chicken. You know, I yeah, work in I a factory know. my whole life. Right. I worked in a factory since I was 20, man. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to hold a chicken either. Right, like, right. Yeah, I and me too. Very limited uh, experience with right. those types of things. I mean, you you know where we're from. It's like it is. It's kind of like the fa- there's farmish kind of land, and then there are more like city types, but very very yeah. Down. Where we where me and Mike live, it's like a giant farmland surrounded by major cities. It's like if you think about it, we're like a giant right. farmland between Boston, Hartford, and Providence. Right. So like that's always I I always like view where we live. It's yeah. the, it's in the middle of nowhere from those major cities yeah like smack dab in the middle of them yeah um but yeah no uh, uh, yeah i i just they they like i've said before on the podcast they just check a box for me yeah and you're just like yep i feel it I feel so you. i got it you know like so maybe <laughs> this is like a shout out to that whole scene and that whole ethos of doing it tenfold yeah. like uh you guys have detroit bands from detroit Throw throw them our way because I'd like to add more to the list. I'd like to like leave a larger legacy. I'd like to have there be more. I know there's like a Michigan uh song like Hall of Fame. I think Songwriters Hall of Fame. Or, I think, like, yeah, I think there's like, a de- like a Detroit. One. Yeah, and which is good, great for them, man. Like if you're in Detroit, like you know, and you're interested, I guess there is some kind of history out there. But like, yeah. let, let's bring it bigger, man. Let's bring it bigger. And I I um I just wanted to touch on because I, I I asked Luke earlier that maybe do you think that um that maybe say these bands were a little bit maybe the the reason why they're not necessarily talked about as much or given the credit that they deserve kind of thing is because maybe the the Motown sound was something that was so much ingrained in like the Detroit mentality that that was the thing like the Motown thing was a thing but then you had kind of like these sort of like 
rumblings right. happening as well, kind of more. No, that might be it. Like the Motown narrative is so strong that, it, ho- that, that it holds the, it holds the more musical narrative of the city as yeah, as compared to like the hard rock. Even though that the hard rock bands coming out of there are like what some of the like we literally named like the Stooges, the MC Five, and Alice Cooper are three of the most influential hard rock bands that have ever existed in hard rock and have influenced in the top so hundred far, in the top so hundred far beyond. Dude, I, I'll, I will say this to you. If you don't have Alice Cooper, right? I don't think you have like Guar. No, you know what I'm trying to say. You and don't I'm not have, trying to say you don't, that I like. Guar. You don't have Kiss either. Right. That's the other part. Right. Of right. It, right. That's is Alice I mean. Cooper just... was before Kiss? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and you know, same with you know, you don't, if you don't have Arthur Brown, you don't have Alice Cooper either. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It, and it keeps going back. Like we could you know keep going. And I am the if you don't, if you don't have Screaming Jay Hawkins, you know. Right. You know, it's like it goes. Yeah. It's a rock and roll tradition, man. Yeah. But like that's, but that's what we're saying. You know, it's just like I really enjoy all these bands from Detroit, and I really love working class music, and I really just think that, like, you know, if you're an author out there and you want to write a book with me, like, get in touch with me. Like, we'll we'll, we'll do it. I got <laughs> eighty ideas. Why don't we write a book? We Luke? should write a book. We should write a book. That's what I'm saying. Get in the garage gives you, and then we can sponsor our podcast with our book. <laughs> with our own book. <laughs> Yeah, that's I the mean, way to go, dude, man. You hear, I, pff, Russell Brand was doing that for like a couple <laughs> years. He's like, "This is this is uh, brought I, to you by my book." <laughs> I, I like. I'm, I'm for me. I'm like a once a year. I'll listen to Russell Brand talk. Yeah, it's a lot of math in my head. I don't know if oh, that makes sense for you. So, well, because you know what, he he. I feel like we're getting a little off the rails here, but he has a an ability to kind of just like <sighs> talk he, at you. Oh my god, great! And you're just like, what the? F-? You know, you're sitting there left like, well, you know. Anyway, Russell Brand, but um, but yeah. We should write a book, man. We should. That'd be cool. Detroit. Um, Detroit. So I think I, that, I think it's kind of like all we gotta say about it for right yeah. now. But like, and don't and, and to be fair, like eventually, the Motown podcast is gonna come. And yeah, I mean, because wh- you can't you can't not acknowledge Motown. Right. Like <laughs> it's the Motown sound. Like yeah, I just wanted to kind of shout out like the hard rock scene because I yeah. feel like it's just another faction, another story that is yeah. underdeveloped. And I I'm a I, guys I, I can't I can't help it. I root for the underdog. So yeah, I know that's that's where I'm coming from. But nice. um, you yeah. know. I, I don't know, man. What have you been listening? Have you been listening to anything else other oh, than man. really? Because I've been really dive. I dove so deep into the into this. My, I, I'll say this. Um, I came in today and I was. I told Luke. I was like, I don't know. I just feel a little bit underprepared. But there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is is that I am, I am deep in the clutches of, uh, you know. I think people immerse themselves in a specific type of music you know so say you're only listening to that type of a thing for maybe like a week you know and then you kind of move on and you start listening to something different uh for me i don't know if i've mentioned it on the podcast before but i am greek uh and uh from the island of crete and crete has its own like traditional like sort of folk music uh and it is a type of music that resonates very much with me and i uh respond to it very emotionally because it like it kind of cuts me deep uh, and that's kind of where I've been. That's what I've been listening to lately is just like a lot of like Cretan folk music. Uh, Nikos. Well, okay, I was gonna say if you're in the Cretan folk music, Mike, like uh, what what are the artists? Who's the guys? Um, okay, so and like, what's the time period? The guy, the the guy is Nikos Xiluris, right? He is like uh, what's interesting about him is like at the same time, like in the late '60s, early '70s. Uh, there's a lot of like political unrest happening and there's like a i think it was what was it the great coup of like greece in like 1960 something um 
And I actually I, I posted about it to, to my Instagram as a matter of fact. Um and yeah, it was from ni- the the um the Greek military junta of from nineteen sixty seven to nineteen seventy four seventy four. But what he did that was kind of unlike what a lot of other Cretan folk artists at the time were doing. He comes from a very musical family. Psarandonis is like the guy. Right now, he's like the guy. Psarandonis to, to Cretan folk music is like, it would be like... Um, Celine, it, it, is it like Selena to the Chicano music scene? I would I would liken it more to, is, is more like, like B.B. King is to blues. Okay. Or like Muddy Waters. Selena is the queen, though. I don't know if you know She this. is the queen. I know Selena. R.I.P. Selena. But, um, um, so, yeah. So, what I'm trying to say is, is basically you have this musical family. Xiluris is the last name. You have Psarandonis. He's still alive. And he uh, had a son, Georgios. Georgios Xiluris. Psaro uh, Georgi, as they call him. Psaro Georgi. Okay, so there's like this, this like... Um, is it a suffix? Is that what you'd call that? Like a surname or whatever? Bro, you're speaking Greek over here. I, I know. I've checked out. To... I was like, I'm going to let you tell this story. Yeah, but I, anyway, I'm having a hard time following. Anyway, Psaro, Psaro, like Psaro Yanni, Psaro Yorgi, whatever. It's basically like that you... you. So the guy's name is Adonis. But okay. You put Psarandoni behind it. So it's like Adoni with like the white hair, sure. the gray hair, whatever. That's like the thing. So, um, but yeah, anyway, so Psarandoni has uh, a son... And then he has two sons. So that's that kind of lineage is the one that's like happening right now. Uh, Nikos and Adonis are the, the grandchildren of Psaradoni. Um, I mean, just and they incredible. All, they all play the Cretan style of music. Cretan folk yeah, music. Yeah, very traditional Cretan folk music, yeah. Um, Nikos Xiluris, on the other hand, was the was one of the brothers. And he, um, he, he what he did that was so different is he, he like broke through like the pop charts. Like okay. Greek pop. So like and Selena. That's, that's why he was. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, man. So like Listen. the exact reference I said. Uh, sure. Thank you. Um, but yeah, and that, and then he, and he and he went to Athens, and he ended up working with like very because Selena played a style of folk music, and then broke through the national charts and became yeah. the biggest artist of all time. So there you go, Selena. Um. <laughs> So yeah, that's what kind of made him unique. And then also, um, yeah. So he moved to Athens. He worked with like famous composers and stuff. And yeah, he really broke through. However, he he passed away. Uh, I think he was he was like forty one. He and I actually shared the same birthday as well. Oh, July seventh. Interesting. Yeah. And Ringo. And Ringo. <laughs> um, so those are the kind of the guys. And then you have like the predecessors. You have like uh, Thanasis Skordalos. He's like an old school kind of guy. You have Kostas Mudakis. You have. This is me spitballing here, man. But like, if you know people are into music, maybe we could find some um, some versions of these songs, seeing that they are folk songs, maybe that aren't copyrighted. That are you know what I'm saying? That are oh, there are like yeah, there's like the traditionals yeah, that yeah, are yeah. played by yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's uh um because if the music Clados, he my son is named after him actually. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Leonidas, yeah. So um, if there yeah maybe like down the road we could do like an episode of like uh creating folk music and maybe we'll be able to play some music that is like not um uh trademarked or whatever and we yeah can, uh, we'll actually play some yeah well, I, why why can't I ever think of what that is called because it's not a hard phrase it's called 
that's when you don't have to pay for it. What is that called? Oh, it's called, uh, uh, fair, fair, fair use, fair use. Yeah, yeah it's like a fair use song. So yeah, so uh, um, maybe we can do that one day. We'll yeah, put that together because that sounds fascinating to me. Because you, you seem like you really know a lot about your uh, Cretan folk music, and yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm a big, I'm a big folky. I'm a big fan of like the uh, yeah. American folk music, uh, hillbilly music, and yeah, definitely the '60s folk revival. It's very much like, and again, maybe like, dude, I gotta, like, I gotta. You got to draw comparisons where comparisons can be drawn, right? Okay. Like, we've been talking about Detroit. Right. We've been talking about working class. Right. These guys who were playing this music. That, that's why I get were down fucking, with folk music, They were bro. shepherds, man. Yeah. My grandfather, my papu, my grandfather was a fucking shepherd. And my grandmother, when she wasn't raising the five kids in the dirt floored house that had no running water or electricity. Right. You know what I mean? That you had to, like, go hike up a mountainside to go get your water and, like, you know, and all that stuff. Like, you know, that these were these guys. These were the guys that were coming out of the post-World War II. These guys, they, they were like, you know, they were like 20. They were kind of coming of age in, in like, in, say, maybe like in their late teens, early 20s. Right. In like the, the, like the mid to late 60s. You okay. know what I mean? Because like. So uh, that was there. So like we had the folk revival in the United States. Are you saying there was also a, a revival of folk, working class folk music going on in, in Greece? That kind of parallel? I that? mean, absolutely. That's, because the thing was, was that, that that's, that's the folk music. That's like the choriatic. Chorio means like the village. That's like the village, village music. The village music. The people's you know what music. I mean? The people. Yeah, very much so. And, and um, you know, obviously at the time everything was like Buzukia, right? That's like more like mainland Greece style. Like that's the iconic sort of like Zorba the Greek soundtrack kind of stuff, you right. know, like Buzuki and stuff. But uh, but Crete Cretan music very much for me is just like I'm I'm it's I'm like I mean nine I, times out of ten when I listen to it I'm crying. Okay, can like, I, that's I, where I was, it I was gonna me. comment. That's on this. where it hits me. Uh, so like I went to obviously I'm I'm, I'm Mike's brother-in-law, so I went to his wedding. I was you know. Uh, and the, they are listening at the, you know, the, the wedding's kind of winding down a bit and it's kind of getting later. Um, and they start putting on, you know, uh, folk music and everybody Cretan folk music and everybody's in the bag. There's a bunch of Greek people at this wedding. I, I mean, Greek wedding, like, you know, let the stereotypes roll, but yeah. they, the music is playing, they're playing a, the Cretan folk music and, and they're doing a dance where they, um, the, you know, where there's somebody in the center and and everybody's around them and everyone's slapping the floor. Oh, that's not Cretan music. Oh, though. that's not okay. No. But still, <laughs> that's Zebekiko. That's a that's a that is a Greek. That absolutely is a super um, expressive kind of a dance. It's like a drunken dance. That's the whole point. You're supposed to dance it when you're drunk. Yeah. To kind of like show that it's like a balancing style dance. Yeah, and it's, it's cool. Just like that whole like that's what I I mean. I know that we are always talking about that, but even our podcast name, Get in the Garage, is kind of like us saying that, like, open it, like, you could do this. Like, this is just us yeah. talking about things that we love. Like, anybody yeah. could do this. And, like, and, you, and, you know, we're just, that's why, like, I really get down with, like, that kind of stuff, like, uh, you know, folk music and, like, really, like, because we're working people. And I, that's where I, my yeah, angle, man. and that's what I can talk to about. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, front on anybody, you know, and be like, this is the, the, the stuff I don't know about. I, what I mostly relate to is because I relate to it because I'm who I am. You know what yeah, I mean? And, no, dude. It's, and it's, that's why, like, you know, when other people come on, like Jeff, Jeff has a, when Jeff came on the show, he has a completely different uh, point of view than us because yeah. he kind of does like a different style of what work and life, and he listens to different things and he likes different, um, he likes different stuff. And and then, you know that's where I'm coming from. It's just a little bit different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, I know that not because I love folk music too, and it's always like, why do I like that? And no, nobody I know likes it. But like when I heard Pete Seeger like it, like say oh, like yeah, if I had man. a hammer, it ha like I was like yeah Dude, man. That and that's the whole thing. Like 
like okay. like the legend. Of, okay, this is really it, man. Uh, I used to hear Johnny Cash uh, at Folsom Prison. My dad had the CD, and they do uh, John Henry's Hammer, right? Mm-hmm. And I used to watch my dad listen to that song, and it would always hype me up because it gets his, Johnny Cash's version is so good. It, it's like yeah. you know, someone's in the mountains caving in. Like it's so. <laughs> It's a good story song, and you know nobody holds a story like Johnny Cash, and they're doing the Legend of John Henry's Hammer, and like my dad would listen to that record all the time, and my dad was a uh, corrections officer, so he was relating to it on one that level because my dad was in jail with those people every day, you know yeah. whether you're working there or not, it's you still have to go to jail every day, um, and. On top of that, like my dad, you know, like the story of John Henry, like that, like, and then I would hear, like, I, you know, got into more music and kind of folk music. I realized that was a folk song and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I relate to that song right now so much. Like, Mike, me and you (laughs) do the same job. We work with machinery all day. Yeah. And most of it is like so frustrating because me and you, like, most people can, like, honestly look at the machine and go, like, a person is worth this. You know what I mean? Yeah. To slow it down and a person is worth all of this. You know what yeah. I mean? And like the what what a person puts into something and the value of work for a human being. Mm. Um like uh what I'm saying is like an honest hard day's work and like me and you have like watched like uh factories get I know we're getting like way off track, but you but know But no, but I mean it's I mean music I think art is a reflection of life, man. Yeah, and, and that's, that's it, man. Like when when I listen to John Henry, I've watched my factory that I work in get machined out, man, and you know what I mean? And I like I watched a lot of good uh people now not be able to work anymore. Yeah. Uh, a lot of older people that were once useful are now uh even less useful in our society because yeah. uh you know, we used to have like a lot of older women that worked in our factory that could like keep up with the job when it was just, you know, what it was. Dude, let me just. And then when it got automated, it gets harder for all these people because the yeah. jobs get more strenuous and more machine based. Dude, um, let me tell so you. People the... are machines. People, yeah. are people are people. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. No, I absolutely, you know, and that similarly with like the 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 Cretan music, it it's very much kind of storytelling as well you know i mean there's a song that like okay like my uncle yanni again hard-working man you know what i mean where came immigrated to the united states like busted his ass like working in restaurants like cooking like doing his thing like you know and um there's one song called sepsi lovuno right and it's like every time actually at my wedding we sang it i don't know if you remember at the end it was me it was my uncle yanni and my my theo lefteri my theo lefteri who's part of my my grandfather's generation he's my grandfather's first cousin so it was one of the most touching things i've ever seen in my life and it's that like i listened to that song yesterday and it just it i couldn't help it man i just started welding up because the whole the whole song is saying sepsi lovuno like in a very on a very high mountain there sits an eagle and the eagle is begging the um begging the sun to shine and melt the ice away from his talons his feet so he can fly again right and the way that it's said the way that the lyric is delivered is just so like it's just so uh, it's Dude, it like it's so crazy. It touches man. you it's, to your core, it man. It is so crazy. There's that song and the Erotocrito, which is basically it's 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 um it's a song that's based off of a book. And it's basically like a, a version of like the Romeo and Juliet type of a story. You know what I mean? Where there's two these two people who fall in love and like there's a whole, you know, that you can look it up, Erotocritos. Um and even just that song, because it's so long. If you actually get the out like the 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 song itself, it's 
it's crazy long. It's like I, I remember I had it on CD and it was like a two CD set kind of thing, you know, super long. Um, but yeah, those two songs, man, they just tear me up. I don't know, just something about it because it just reminds me of that, man. Like I remember going to Greece in 1997 and listening to that, right? To going your to Crete, yeah, my papu, my grandfather. Like my earliest memory of music has got to be Kritika. That's the that's pro- I think it must have been the. F- or the, I think the first music I ever heard was Mozart because my dad was like really into like that whole thing where he's like play Mozart while your kids are sleeping kind of thing, and then, but then like my memory, my <laughs> earliest memory, yeah, my dad was into kind of some 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 fun stuff. Oh. He's an interesting <laughs> I, guy. We won't, we won't from what there. Mike has told me about his father, that is the the outlier. I'm like, well, that seems a bit different from everything else you've said. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was a. He was a madman in his own right. Anyway, the point is that, uh, yeah, I mean, Cretan music, I don't know, dude. It's just like it, like I said, it makes me cry like almost all the time. Like me and my cousins, like will, like if a, if a song comes on and it just, it's, it just touches okay. us in I, such a way that's just. I know. I, I get it, <laughs> turns man. Me I, I get it. I, and a lot of people avoid that kind of music because, you know, people don't want to be driving to work crying, man. So the, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, they want, I, yeah. They get hence, your, hence your pop music, man. But like. A yeah. lot of the time, you're, you're blues and you're folk, man. Like, I, so I feel it so hard. That's why I relate to, like, folk music so much. Like, yeah. mountain music. It, it's working people's music. And, and it's, like, yeah. it's family music. And you know what I mean? It's like, roots, man. It's roots. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like, what have, what, what have I been listening to? You know, like, this segment turned into, you know, like, me and Mike talking about folk music. But, like, let's, you know, my dad would play me Johnny Cash every Friday night. Like, yeah. religiously. <laughs> and when I say religiously, I can't even tell you how many times I've heard... Live at Folsom Prison by Johnny Cash. Yeah. I know everything he says in the middle, like the you know, like you know, something running off Luther's boots, like you know, somebody mm. gets some water, like you know, it, yeah. you know, somebody has a visitation. You guys, you know, I doubt it. I doubt it. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, he's taught. Like I've heard so many times, and that was my father's folk music because Johnny Cash is like the American. Uh, you know, folk singer to some to a great extent, as much yeah. as he's a lot of other things, but um. You know, it was like his story, his working man's story yeah. and without ever telling me overtly, you know, of like my father's generation really doesn't do that. But like without telling me overtly, he was telling me, you know, by playing this music all the time, like this is what I go through all the day, like all the time, you yeah. know, like these are my people. Like as yeah. much as like my father was the guard to inmates, like he was also like, you know, also in there as a guard and he felt what Johnny Cash was singing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. th- that, like, you know. Yeah, my like my father might as well have shot a man because he had to go to jail every day to feed his family to like you yeah. know raise us, man. And it's I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm not saying like if you're in jail, it's different, guys. I know. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, but it, you're it, still in that atmosphere, man. You're you in that it's atmosphere. It's very, very it's tense. volatile, yeah. volatile, uh, hard up. You know what I mean? There's a lot of hard feelings going on in yeah. jail every day on both sides of it. You know, and like, uh, I feel you, man, because like when that comes on, like that's how I related to my dad. That's how I figured out who he was as a person, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's music, man. It's the, uh, as the Chili Peppers once said, music, <laughs> the great communication. <laughs> uh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Full circle. All yeah. right, guys. Uh, well, what, what what have you been listening to? You, I mean, you. What have I been, been listening to? Like, mainly doing deep dives on the. I was Detroit really Roxy. yeah. Well, I was kind of going down into into that area the other day, but um, but uh, something I've been spitting like a lot, like randomly, is like uh, is is cool in the gang's earlier uh works. Um. Oh yeah. Yeah. What's the album called? Wild and peaceful. 
yeah, Wild and Peaceful by Cool in the Gang, guys, is one of the best early funk soul albums. Um, it has Hollywood Swingin' on it, which has been sampled. I don't know who sampled it in a rap song, but it's been sampled a jillion times. Yeah. Um, you know that song, right? Hollywood Swingin'. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, Jungle Boogie's on there. Everybody's heard that song. Jungle Boogie. Um, every song on it is funky and awesome. It rocks like um, the JBs a little bit. Um, it is has some kind of like a soul elementy. It's mm. definitely more uh, melodic than the JBs. I would say where like the JBs are like the tightest funk band that ever existed. Like um, Cool and the Gang are maybe more jazzy at times and more like kind of giving you uh, more of a song and then yeah. another thing. Um, one of the best pieces of music on Wild and Peaceful though is um, – it's a song called, I'm um, so sorry, what is it called real fast so I can get you the actual name of it. Uh, it's called, uh, it's not that one. It's called Heaven at Once, okay. right? And so uh, it's kind of like a, um, like a slow jam and uh, it's got talking over it. Hmm. But um, it's a girl and she's like, uh, you know, how do we make the world a better place? And he's like, I'm glad you asked. And he's <laughs> like, we make a better place by laying it mathematically down. And it's like, down, 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 down. Like, oh, it's really yeah. funky. And he kind of gives you some, like, new agey, you know, like, uh, you know, open your mind kind of stuff and how you can help the world right now. And I thought it was kind of even, like, a cool song to listen to in the times we were listening to right mm. now. It's a little bit corny, but, like, super cool. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, it's called Heaven at Once by Cool and the Gang. Um, nothing like their 80s stuff, like, Celebrate or whatever. It's nothing like that. Yeah. Garbage. It's really good stuff so check out uh yeah wild and peaceful by cool and the gang nice man but also yeah folk music man like now you're gonna you're gonna get me on the kick man i'm gonna Fuck, go. dude i know right I, yeah, um, what have i done i mean we have time dude we've only been uh, oh my gosh know, we've been going for a little while uh, we're good we're good uh, we'll, 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 br- we'll bring you what we li- what i listened to after the inevitable uh folk binge after this week yeah yeah right i'm gonna i set you off i'll play you some cretan folk music too man i'll turn you on i mean I, I like it i i go more for like the the lead belly anything on folkways records you know stuff like that yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of the Library of Congress recordings, which are like, yeah. oh, I, the Library of Congress recordings for folk music fans are, are some of the best stuff ever. Yeah. You get to hear uh, uh, Muddy Waters on the farm he worked at before he <laughs> left. Yeah, like that's the original Muddy Waters before he like went like like. There's a Muddy Waters Library of Congress recording, like. Like so beautiful. I think we should do an episode on uh that this guy named uh, uh Moses or Moses Archu on Folkway Records and then um oh man his name is blanking me right now who uh mm. went down south and did uh all of the Library of Congress uh Library of Congress recordings. Oh but, um, yeah, what was his name? Yeah, I can I can't think yeah. of it at the moment, but um he there's basically this one man um I I want to say Max Maxwell uh I'm gonna look it up for you guys real fast. Library. Library of Congress. Of Congress. Recordings. This is quality content. This is quality content, guys. <laughs> quality yeah. content. Uh, did you find it? Nah, I probably won't be able to find it. No, that's okay. Let me take this opportunity while Luke is looking to follow us on Instagram at Get in the Garage. <laughs> you can email us if you want, get in the garage podcast at gmail.com if you have any requests, uh, co- questions, or comments. Check out our YouTube channel, too. Oh. No, I'm sorry. It's the man's name is Alan Lomax. Alan Lomax. Yes, I knew it. I yeah. just couldn't think of it. Uh, yeah. Yep. So basically, one man went down south and almost single-handedly um, collected most of the works for 
uh, folk music in in the government was it was the government's interest at the time to catalog American music and thank God they did everybody because it is some of the one of the best yeah. life's works I've ever seen is Alan Lomax's uh, Library of Congress recordings and I yeah. think we should do an episode on those and but that will be in the future where I really get to deep dive them I mean I've listened to Lead Bear Lead Belly's uh, Library of Congress I've listened to Guthrie's I've listened to Muddy Waters. Um, I've listened to uh, Jelly Roll Morton's Library of Congress recordings, which is some of the most fascinating I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Remember yeah, I was telling yeah, you about yeah. that? Yeah. So, like, I mean, guys, this is going to be, like, uh, a thing. But, like, uh, just real quick, on Jelly Roll Morton, um, they would have, like, dirty songs that they would play in, like, uh, um, strip clubs, things like that, you know, of, like, raunchier nature. Because, like, guys, like, songs were raunchy in the 1930s. You just didn't know it because they didn't get recorded because they were raunchy. Whereas now we record raunchy music because we celebrate our First Amendment rights and we can say whatever we want. But back in the day, there was like, you know, a morality issue going on. Um, but yeah, uh, Jelly Roll Morton laid down some of the, uh, on his Library of Congress recording, some of the dirty songs. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah, and it, yeah. it's, it, you know, he's saying, he's saying, you know, bitch and, you know, your mom don't you know, change her underwear, like yeah. nasty stuff. Uh, no it, good. Yeah. It's like an old school, like your mom joke. I played it for Mike because I couldn't believe it. Like it was the first because I had heard about these well, songs. It's so vulgar. It That's, is it's incredibly, so explicit. It's incredibly so explicit. vulgar. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? And, and you're then, hearing and like an old. Year? It's like the 30s. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And 20s, 30s. Yeah. You couldn't believe it. And this song has, was already like 30 years old. And Alan Lomax is like begging him he goes please please and like, he was re he did reluctantly though wasn't he yeah. he kind of like didn't want to he's like eh, i don't really want to do that because it's, it's not it's not what you did it was frowned upon right but all these artists knew all of these songs like yeah. the whole but they would just wouldn't play them for the public because they were so but in time and place this was like you know music they played for each other to make each other laugh and stuff and they and wasn't what him in particular like didn't he play in a lot of like strip clubs and yeah. stuff like back then like right the, a like, lot of kind um, of like uh, kinda you know uh whorehouse kind of thing yeah. you know not that i think that term is you know whatever a but, brothel yeah there you go whatever a brothel. so um yeah, and you know, Library of Congress just has so much rich stuff going on, and I I think uh yeah maybe like a a good old folk episode is a way to go for me and you, you know. I think so. I think it would be fun if if you if you talked about American folk and I talked about Cretan folk and we try to find a way that they are. Yeah, I I parallel, dig. I dig. You know? I mean, I would say that Cretan folk music, the format of it is much more in like a twelve bar blues kind of approach. I'll say with American folk. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, um, American folk has a lot of twelve bar in it, and also yeah. has a lot of like uh, drone in it. Even yeah, you know, kind of that kind of stuff. The the way the lyric is delivered in the in the Cretan music is very much in the way that like how in blues you have like a line delivered, and then th there's playing, and then you have the same line delivered with the next line attached to it, and then you play, and then the third time you go about it, it's like the the resolving okay. last two. Yeah, see, because American folk kind of really. Uh, kind of takes the blues and then also melds it hard with the English tradition of like, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I just hum the Harry Potter theme guys. Uh, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Not totally. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's more of like the, uh, you know, there was a fair maiden who leaned down and that kind of yeah. thing. But that's also what right. the Harry Potter theme is based off. Anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And, 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 and green likewise with, kind of thing. with, uh, with Cretan music, very much influenced by the, the fact that, I mean, Crete, like, I'm mean, Greece and Crete was, uh, they were under Ottoman rule for mm -hmm. quite some time. And, and there's you get definitely the of, a very, uh, instruments. Yeah. 
the yeah. cool one is uh i'll play this for you too is uh the weavers uh used to do a, a tune called around the world i'll actually hmm. show you the video of it. it's one of the few uh videotapes of the weavers that exist featuring uh pete seeger Oh, cool. um, and they do around the world and they take like a uh, Jewish folk song and um, uh, an English folk song and they meld them into like one mel- uh, medley of, of music oh, because cool. we're going to take you around the world in folk music and they give you like uh, the Jewish and uh, uh, African and then like, uh, um, you know, a blues and then a uh, uh, English ballad and then like a Mediterranean ballad and then, yeah. they, and then they mix it all back into this is American folk music that we're playing for you right now. And this is the history of it because it comes from everywhere. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's yeah, one yeah. of the coolest things. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, we'll leave it there. We'll, we'll give you, we'll give you a proper folk one. Yeah, that's, that's to come. But, uh, anyway, I think that's, that, that about does it for this episode of Get in the Garage. Like I said earlier, just, uh, you know, like, follow everything. Don't be afraid to message us or ask questions or suggestions, questions, you know, anything like that. Like, yeah. you know, we want, uh, we want to be in touch with you. We want to talk to you. So one thing, uh, I think we should all take home is, uh. You gotta lose your mind <laughs> in, in Detroit. Detroit. Rock City! Get up! <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Make sure to share, like, and subscribe to the Get in the Garage podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, and a bunch more. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or email us directly at getinthegaragepodcast at gmail.com for any questions or topics you might like to hear us cover. Thanks again, guys. See you next time. Get in the garage. <laughs>